Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Gonzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Welcome in. Peter Sampson in for Gonzano. It's the bald faced truth. Appreciate you rolling with me until 6 o'clock today. Got a big show on your Wednesday. Of course, like I've had on Monday and Tuesday, Sean McPherson, Stephen Vaughn hanging out with me as well. Appreciate you listening to the program. JC will be back next week. He's out of camp exceptional this week. Doing good for the community. It's one of the best times of the year. I love it. That's not the only camp going on right now. Damian Lillard is uh, he's hosting his four-day basketball camp out at, uh, I think it's in Beaverton, out at Beaverton Hope. Something like 350 kids between uh, ages 6 and 16 are participating. It's kind of a typical basketball camp, you know, learning experience. You're encouraging team participation, personal development, all that kind of stuff. Of course, Dame is there helping campers hone their basketball fundamentals. And uh, as you can imagine, to uh, sort of protect, uh, you know, kids' privacy, media availability is limited. It's just one day structured media event. You can come in. You can talk to Dame. You can get some uh, sort of pre-established media shots. It's uh, one of the things you never want to do is like uh, sort of without permission, end up taking pictures of kids and putting them online. You, you, you always ask permission. You let the uh, the entity sort of structure that for you. But uh, today is the day that there was a uh, media availability. Uh, Dame spoke to the local media. And I got to say, man, I was pretty encouraged by what I heard here. If you're a Blazer fan, you should be feeling pretty good. You know, Dame's feeling good. Look, he came off a of surgery. Says he's feeling good. Of course, he's uh, his uh, wallet is feeling good after he uh, signed that two-year, $122 million extension. So uh, I'll be real. If I signed that kind of extension, no matter what happens to me, I'm at least feeling all right. So Dame's good physically. Dame's good financially, of course. And he's having a good time. But if you're a Blazer fan, I want to play uh, a couple clips from Dame here. You should feel uh, pretty uh, encouraged by what he had to say. First, he talked about his physical health coming off of that abdominal surgery. No, I mean, I, I feel great. Um, even when, uh, you know, right after surgery, it was like I had surgery at 6 a.m. on January 13th. And then 6 a.m. on January 14th, I was literally doing rehab in Philly and doing yoga. It was like aggressive. It was aggressive, you know, like even when I was a little uncomfortable, they was just like, just do it, you know? And I'm one of those people, like if that's the instructions you're giving me, I'm gonna do it, you know? And if something go wrong, I'm gonna tell you, but if this is what you think, if you, if you say it's gonna work, let's do it. And I kind of went at it aggressive. And after I would say like a month and a half, month and a half, I would say I started to feel a lot better. And I thought I was back, you know, I was like, oh, a month and a half. I was like, I'm back. I don't feel nothing. But then, you know, fast forward to four months and I'm like, I could just feel in my movement. I was like, man, I didn't I didn't even realize how how bad it was. You know what I mean? Because I had been dealing with it for, you know, four and a half years and it just was getting worse and worse. But I was still able to, you know, have 50 on the night or I was still able to move kind of well some nights. 
and it would be like after the game where I would go home and I would have like a bulge, you know, like in my, like over my pubic area and it would just be like, you know, like a baseball was under there, like that type of swelling. And it would just like, by the time I wake up, it would go down and then the next day it would do it again. So it was just like, I was just fighting through it. So to like wake up every day and, you know, be able to work out and then, you know, do some conditioning and go home and feel good and be strong and kind of build myself back up from scratch, you know, like I haven't just, done uh, rehab on my surgery it's been other things that are, that I have been dealing with as well where I'm able to like correct those things and um, put a real plan together and put a team of you know PT and strength and conditioning and basketball and speed and agility and sports science like put a team of people together that's like everything is not always hard 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 it's like today is a medium day today is a light day okay take this day off you know like so it's gotten me to the point where, like, I really feel as strong as I've ever felt. You know what I mean? I feel healthy, 100% healthy. I feel strong. Look, there's an obvious joke about a bulge in Dame's pubic area that I'm not going to make. It's completely unnecessary. But, man, we knew that, look, there was a there was a challenge there. He was dealing with this injury. Uh, it was a chronic injury. He was coming off of it for dealing with four and a half years, he said. But if you're talking a baseball-sized swelling in the, uh, we'll call it the lower abdominal region, if you're having that after every game, that is some serious business. And we knew he'd been dealing with it. And I think it was Drew Holiday uh, for Team USA that told him, man, I had the same thing done. Just get it done. Just get it done. But you know, Dave, man, he just wanted to win. No, 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 no. Next game, next month, this season, let's go. Let's get it done. But uh, if he's truly truly feeling as strong as he has that's a big deal and we know his name's his game's not purely predicated on athleticism he's athletic as all get out but he, you know he's not a guy like like a like a Russell Westbrook or something where once that athleticism just takes the tiniest bit of hit all of a sudden he's mortal he was still efficient for the most part he was still getting to his spots but that's something and if you've ever had a a chronic injury it's not maybe serious enough to get taken care of right this minute or something like that when you finally get re, uh, get it taken care of the relief that you feel you're like man i didn't realize i i i had this uh this problem for so long i mean it's it's a different situation but it reminds me man years and years ago I, I needed a root canal, and this is back in the days where if you join a company, they're like, you have the waiting period for your health insurance. You know, I know that's not as common now, but I needed that dental insurance, man. I need a root canal, and I'm dealing with it every day. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts, and I just sort of deal with it and put it out of my mind. You know, I, I, I'm aware of the fact that it's bothering me. But whatever, I got to do what I got to do. As soon as, uh, as soon as my six month probationary period at the uh, the company is over, I'm eligible for benefits. I go and get it taken care of. And my first thing was, I cannot believe that I was tolerating this. Like I knew it was bad, but and uh, I think it's a much more extreme example of that is what is what uh, Damian Lillard was dealing with. Now the thing is, taking last year off, getting right, sort of, you know taking care of his body, rebuilding his body. Uh, it's not just the abdominal. I mean, he said it right there. He's able to get a lot of other things right as well. When you have the luxury of not actually grinding through an NBA season, you can sort of deal with some other things. You can sort of address them, balance issues, you know, equal uh, strength issues between your legs, for example, things like that. But it wasn't just 
the physical aspect that Dame said uh, he got an advantage in by taking the year off. Take a listen to this. So it's gotten me to the point where, like, I really feel as strong as I've ever felt. You know what I mean? I feel healthy, 100% healthy. I feel strong. Um, I think the break from playing and, you know, having to go out there knowing that I didn't feel good and, you know, the the... I don't know the, I guess the burden of like, we have to win and we got, I got to perform like that's, that's a little bit stressful, you know what I'm saying? So just going the last, you know, seven months, seven and a half, almost eight months without having to think about none of those things is like, you know, kind of clear my mind. Physically, I, you know, like I said, I feel great. Um, and I think, I, you know, this was, it's crazy to say right now because I never thought I'd say it, but I think it was exactly what I needed. You know what I mean? It was exactly what had to happen. Yeah, see, that makes perfect sense to me. And my first thought when he's talking about the burden, I mean, what kind of burden is it willing your team to the playoffs when you're, you you have Al Farouk Amino and Mo Harkless as your starting forwards? That's a huge burden. And my immediate thought, uh, of course, both these guys were uh, were gone by then, but it takes me to that, that, uh, that Denver series where Dame had one of the best games in playoff history and every other teammate let him down. They end up losing that game. I mean, you talk about a burden. So I think it's a little bit of a blessing in disguise here that he got this uh, He got this time off, not just to get right physically, but, man, actually take a break from the mental grind as well. The mental part, it's, it's a huge part. I'm not going to say it's, it's a bigger part than the physical aspect in pro sports, but honestly, it might be. I mean, obviously, you have to be physically gifted to be to that level, so you can't really say that it's more important because you know, you know, if you're if you're five foot four and you're scrawny and you have a two inch vert, like it doesn't matter how strong you are mentally, it's not gonna happen. Yeah, I know, Muggsy Bogues. Yeah, give it to me. But that being said, I think that Damian Lillard, without regards to, we can talk about the team. Look, forty one and a half wins over under the new guys, the roster back healthy, playoffs or not, play in or not. If we're just talking Dame personally, fellas, I think this guy is going to come out with a vengeance next year. Yeah, and I mean, Dame has never said anything in his career that would lead me to believe that he's lying about this, right? Like, he has always been so loyal to Portland. He's always said he was going to stay in Portland, and he's never asked to be out. So for him to say, you know, it was worse than I thought it was, and I feel as healthy as I've ever felt, I have no reason but to believe him. So I'm with you. I think he's going to have a really nice year. Uh, you know, to go along with that extension, I'm happy the Blazers gave it to him because I know he wants to stay in Portland. It's very important to the fan base. But, you know, is he going to be worth it by, you know, three or four years down the line? This remains to be seen. But for next season, we're speaking next season only. Dame's going to come back and have a really nice season now. The rest of the team, hopefully it's so it's different enough where they actually have uh, players that help him out. Like you talked about that Nugget series, man. No one helped him out. If he can get some help this year, I mean, who knows? Blazers may make the playoffs, but... Dame specifically, man, he's going to come back. He'll be fine. Yeah, I, I hope that Dame, considering he's taken quite a bit off, you know, the last time we've seen him play basketball was with Team USA last summer. So he, well, that's not true. He started the season uh, with Portland. But it's been a while since we've seen him out there. There's a brand new roster around him. And really, I mean, taking that year off, uh, similar to, you know, Jamal Murray, Kawhi Leonard, other guys that had last year off as well due to injury, like, People forget how good people are, you know, how good players are. And you guys talked about it. Like the last time that we've seen Dame play was against Denver, really full strength. The last time that he was full strength was against Denver uh, in the playoffs a couple of years ago, a couple of seasons ago now, even though it was not that long ago. 
and he was dropping, you know, 50-plus points, one of the best playoff games we've seen from him. So I hope he comes out with a vengeance, and quite frankly, I, I think he needs to because that extension, that's MVP money that he received. So I hope, I, I, Dame, as good as Dame's been, he hasn't been an MVP caliber player, at least not in my opinion. He's never he's never even finished top three in the award. I hope that this is the year that he does that. And I, I would even say against Denver, he may not even been a hundred percent. He was hiding it. You know, right. he said he was that hurt where he probably wasn't even hundred percent in that series, and you saw what he did in that series where he dominated. So yeah, you you're right. Like the mental grind on him just carrying the franchise for so many years had to have been good to be lifted and get an emotional break and physical break. So yeah, this year, it, it should be this year. And if it's not this year, I don't know when it's going to be. I, I think we really finally saw everything catch up to him last season before they shut him down. Obviously he wasn't physically right. That's when you finally started to seem like really grimacing after a lot of movement and stuff like that. But I don't think it was only that thinking to that second clip and that burden. I mean, Man, his physical reaction to losing that pl- that game against Denver, it, it, it his body language said what all of us were thinking. Like, what does this guy have to do? And I think carrying that over, you have the injury on top of it. He started really slowly last season, and he's done that before, and then he'll just go gangbusters for, you know, a 12-game stretch, and oh, look at that. All of a sudden, he's averaging 27 again. I just, I think that things really caught up with them not just with the nagging injury but again I think mentally as well and I I just I have a feeling that just getting that little break that little refresher you know I mean look work even if uh you know the three of us we all love what we do we love it but that being said even then you need a little vacation right you just got to get away and clear your head he got to do that and yeah and what he does is such a grind because he's been thrown this franchise and expected to lead the whole entire franchise for not only just one year, but numerous years ever since he was drafted, right? Like as soon as he came to Portland, he was the man over LaMarcus Aldridge. And that was, that's what made LaMarcus mad. And so he's been the face of this franchise for so many years. And like you said, it finally caught up to him, I think emotionally, and it was good for him to get that year off. And I'm glad, you know, as soon as he got that surgery, you knew, well, his season's over and hopefully next season, now he's going to come back healthy and mentally strong, which I think he will. He, I, like I said, I have no reason to believe that he's not going to do this because he's never lied to me before. So I believe he's going to come back strong and healthy and be really good this year. I think there's an argument to be had uh, about whether this year's roster that the Blazers are about to field is better than the roster that they used to have. You know, the old era of the Blazers with C.J. McCollum and uh, Nurkic was still around, Norman Powell, Robert Covington. Uh, but what you can't tell me, I, I think there's no debate that this team's going to be better defensively. And oh, yeah. I, the fact that they added Gary Payton the second, who was one of the the Warriors' stoppers, and they added Josh Hart, and they they have several other, you know, Jeremy Grant was another nice defensive addition. Uh, I, I think that should ho- hopefully really help Dame. You know, whether this team's going to be better than old Dame teams is up for debate, but I, I don't think it's up for debate that this team has more defensive pieces, and I hope that allows Dame to focus less. You know, obviously you want him trying on the defensive side of the ball, but you don't see Steph Curry as, you right. know, he's not expected to play a, a whole lot of defense or, you know, carry a huge burden defensively. Same with John Morant. Same with a variety of other guards in this league because they have other uh teammates that are kind of carrying that load so I hope Dame can thrive even more offensively do more things offensively with some of the help that they they've brought in this offseason. yeah the big thing is it's certainly more balanced defensively or I mean at least it appears to be we need to see it in action uh where 
and I get, look, they, they still need another backup center. They're, they're still too guard heavy. But when you're talking about where the defensive, uh, Portland's version of the defensive specialists are, it's a little more balanced than the previous couple years where, well, you had Robert Covington. And a lot of Blazer fans were so disappointed in Robert Covington, but he did exactly what he does. He plays great team defense, but if he doesn't have a couple good individual defenders around him, he's completely wasted because he's not a ball stopper. But if you're talking a guy that can jump over and help and maybe jump in the passing lane and have busy hands when he gets down into the post. That's Rocco's game. But if he's playing around terrible defenders, it's like, well, what do you have? You have a three and D guy and the D's not even that effective. Yeah, and that's what the hope of Gary Payton the second is. Exactly. Right? The on-ball defense. That's what he did in Golden State in the finals. We saw that in the biggest moments. He was guarding the best players. And then you also got to hope Josh Hart can become that type of guy as well. He's another guy that goes on the wing and plays really good on-ball defense, point-of-attack defense. So, the Blazers have been lacking that, so hopefully, like you guys are talking about, it takes a little more pressure off of Dave defensively, and then offensively, it's going to take pressure off with Anthony Simons. I think he, I think we can all agree he has a little more potential than C.J. McCollum does. I love C.J. as an offensive player, but Anthony just being a, maybe a better spot-up shooter than C.J., a little better with the ball in his hands to create for others, definitely more athletic. I think the ceiling is higher offensively to take some of the pressure off his game as well. Look, I'm going to say this. Is, is Steph Curry a better basketball player than Damian Lillard? Yes, I don't think anyone's yeah. debating that. However, I will say that Steph Curry's had more of a luxury in his career of being surrounded by more of a well-rounded lineup and a more talented lineup, obviously. And I do think that this is a more well-rounded team that is now around Damian Lillard. I, I, I'm excited for that reason. Like, Dame has, it's been a while since Dame's had a forward like Jeremy Grant. And I'm hoping a healthy Yusuf Nurkic will really help. And I'm hoping Josh Hart will really help. I, I think the depth on this team and kind of the variety of different pieces will really help. And I think we're going to see less. There's just been so many moments where Dame's just, you know, he's guarding Jason Tatum in the bubble. Like, I, I'm really hoping that that's not the case. Like, it feels like in years past, Dame has had to do everything, and yet he's still putting out these amazing performances. Steph Curry's never really had had that, you know, the disadvantage. He's always had kind of awesome defensive teams around him, awesome, you know, different kinds of playmakers around him. And I'm hoping that Joe Cronin has put together a roster that allows Dame to kind of focus on what he does best, and he's not he's not focusing on on some of those other challenges that he's faced in his career. Yeah, I mean, th th that's certainly the idea. You can see it. And, I mean, you're right on the money. I still remember, uh, you know, the burden that Dame carried. I, you hear from guys every once in a while. They call in and be like, I need Damian Lillard. He's a ball hog. He needs to pass the ball. He needs to average 10 assists a game. It's like, bro, he is passing to Mo Harkless exactly at the three-point line. I assure you he's sharing the ball enough. Who should be shooting instead of him? Like, he has no choice but to carry that burden because he's – He's the only guy there. What, should Evan Turner be jacking up shots? Should we make Alan Crabb a, a, a main ball handler? Give me a freaking break. And then, of course, you, you hit it right on the head. Look, Dame, the difference between Dame and CJ is Dame generally, not always, but he at least tried somewhat on defense. He's just he's just not a great defender. It's just the way it is, and especially exerting that much uh, energy on offense. He, he's just not a great defender. If it was a key possession and someone tries to post him up, he would actually have decent success. Like, game-on-the-line possession here, he was a decent defender, but he had to really kind of kind of sack up for it and get ready, and here it is, one possession for the game. You know, where a guy like CJ... Uh, you know, you would hear the stories about CJ in his improved defense, and I assure you that none of them were true. 
Not a <laughs> yeah. single one of them. You're, you're right on that, that. Yeah, and the thing is, last year, even in the couple of games that Dane played, he drew a charge at the end of the game yeah. to win a game. Mm-hmm. Like he, he has shown the ability to make that one defensive stop when he has to. He just can't do it all game long. Right. You, you you can't be you know score twenty six points a game and have trash teammates and then all of a sudden be a defensive stopper unless you're you know Michael Jordan circa nineteen eighty nine or something you like that. Can't be checking up thirty foot threes and making them and then expected to go out and guard you know John Morant <laughs> on the other side like that's full just, court no, press. That's why I like the addition of Gary Payton the second because I'm not sure Dame's ever had. It's always been CJ next to him, right? And so now it's it's Anthony next to him. But I also think kind of that one B uh, to Anthony's one A is, is Gary Payton the second, who really showed to be one of the better defensive guards in this entire league last postseason, last season. So I I'm really excited about that addition. I know a lot of Portland fans are saying, why did we just get another guard? Well, it's because <laughs> now Gary Payton the second, when you go up against Steph Curry, when you go up against Ja Morant. Uh, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, whoever the the best guard on the other team may be, that's not Dame's job anymore, and that excites me. And the thing is, is the team's been aware that they've needed that for years now, but of course the answer was, oh, Robert Covington, who again is a great team defender, even still, he is a great team defender, but he's not going to lock up a dude one-on-one or what. Evan Turner was the answer. Remember when that was sold to you as the defensive answer, Blazer fan? Evan Turner can guard the other team's best player, and he can, uh, Dame can play off the ball, and Turner can handle the ball. Well, yeah, sort of. I mean, a little bit. It, we, he, he did it in Indiana a little bit. He did it in Boston, certainly, but Really? That's the guy? We don't need to rehash that. But with with GP2, it's finally that guy. Fourth quarter possessions. He can handle it. Dame can conserve his energy. Dame can actually get off the ball. And he's that weak point of attack, at least some of the time, is going to be alleviated. So, man, I'm telling you, Damian Lillard is going to come out gangbusters this year. Remains to be seen what the actual team is going to do. I'm a little optimistic. I'm not delusional. This isn't a Western Conference Finals team. I know that. But I look at the 41 and a half, and, and man, part of me says the Western Conference is so, so tough. That's going to be a challenge. But part of me goes, man, don't we play this game every single year with the Damian Lillard team? We look at the over-under, and you go, yeah, that sounds about right. I don't know. And then they end up winning 46. It just feels that that happens every single year year all right we'll go away come back more nba talk on the other side an update in the uh horrible miles bridges saga i'll tell you what's going on there and how the uh the hornets are actually handling this situation peter sampson in for Kazano. it's the bald face truth on the bft radio network Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. Let's keep it in the NBA. Hornets restricted free agent Miles Bridges pleaded not guilty today to three felony domestic violence charges during his arraignment in Los Angeles County Superior Court. And he's accused of assaulting his girlfriend in front of their two children last month. And the the three felonies were filed yesterday uh, by the L.A. County District Attorney. Uh, His case was continued to August 19th. A date for a preliminary hearing is slated to be scheduled. And uh, the DA in a news release yesterday said uh, his office filed one felony count of injuring a child's parent and two felony counts of child abuse under circumstances or conditions likely to cause great bodily injury or death. 
And according to that release, the case includes an allegation of causing great bodily injury on the domestic violence victim. So the release noted that the children were present for the alleged uh, assault, but did not otherwise specify uh, what the child abuse counts stemmed from. And if you recall, he was arrested uh, June 29th by the LAPD. He was released on a $130,000 bond. The Hornets and the NBA have both said they're aware of the charges, and the league is investigating the allegations. Now, Miles Bridges, six foot seven, 225 pounds. He was the Hornets' leading scorer last season. I think he put up darn near exactly 20 points a game, just a hair over. It's his fourth season in the NBA. Before his arrest, the Hornets had extended Bridges a qualifying offer, which allows them a chance to match any offer she, he signs with another team. They made him a restricted free agent. He was expected to uh, get big money. And I want to be clear. I've seen so many takes about like, oh, Bridges fumbled the bag. That is not the point of this story. Yes, he did. But what he did uh, allegedly is horrific. And that needs to be the focus. Now, the Hornets did not pull that qualifying offer prior to the July 13th deadline. Mark Stein had that. So as a result, Bridges remains a restricted free agent. And if he signs the one-year tender, he will earn just a hair under $8 million uh, for the the next NBA season. So that's if he signs that one-year tender, which it wouldn't surprise me if he does end up doing this. Because, look, no team in their right mind is going to sign this guy right now. Or at least I'd like to say that. I would like to believe that. But sort of the pessimist in me. The uh, the cynical side of me, it makes me feel like he's going to go through this. He's going to be found however he's going to be found in court. And the NBA is going to suspend him for a long time. And then you'll find him the following season in the 2023-24 NBA season with some other roster where that team is just hoping that you'll forget all this. But the details of this, fellas, this is uh, this is disturbing stuff. Yeah, I mean, and the pictures his girlfriend had posted online Oof. on social media were just very, very disturbing. And yeah, I'm with you, man. I want, I want to hope that nobody would offer him a contract. It looks like nobody's going to because there's not many teams with salary cap that can really reach what he wanted to reach. Uh, John Hollinger, before, before all this news came out, he, you know, he projects where guys are going to get value and how much money they're going to get. He projected he was going to get a four or five uh, year deal from Charlotte, twenty five million a year. Yep. And so there's not many teams. There's no teams that really can, you know rearrange some contracts and get that to him. And I'm glad because he doesn't deserve that money because of what he's done. And I hope the NBA comes out hard on him, just like the Deshaun Watson case. Hopefully the NBA can come down hard on him uh, if all this comes out to be true. Yeah, you're right, Peter. This is not about fumbling the bag. You know, this is about something that's that's much more serious. And it's that, um, you know, that Miles Bridges actually um, is is not able to, to play in the league until until he figures out, um, you know some personal situations that are that are super serious right now and look this is this is like here's the difference between the uh miles bridges and deshaun watson case you know deshaun watson there's not really been that clear evidence where we are you know it's just it's very sticky right now and we haven't really seen exactly like someone come out and show evidence show photos Miles Bridges' uh, wife or girlfriend, you'll have to fill me in there. Do either of you guys know if it's it, it's girlfriend. his girlfriend? Okay, ex-girlfriend. I'm, I, I, but anyway, she, she went out and posted photos and, and very gruesome photos, right, yeah. of of the uh, the situation. And 
as soon as you see those photos, as soon as you get that detailed story from the source, it becomes real, right? And yep. I don't think anyone is, uh, you know, this is, that's the difference between the Deshaun Watson case here. And we, we haven't seen that from the Deshaun Watson case yet. No one's really came out and showed proof. And, you know, that's why we're still kind of in this back and forth between Watson and the NFL and everyone else. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, just bigger than bigger than basketball, and hopefully, hopefully the NBA handles this right and uh, doesn't give Miles Bridges uh, a contract again until he gets himself right. Yeah, remains to be seen what's going to happen there, but I'll be watching it closely as I send us to break. Uh, some breaking news, some good news. The Blazers say they have determined that surgery will not be required for Shaden Sharp's injury, that left shoulder labral tear suffered in summer league. He is expected to be ready to go by training camp. We'll we'll take a quick break, and I want to talk about the ramifications of that. On the other side, Shaden Sharp not needing surgery. Peter Sampson in for Canzano. It's the BFT. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. He will be back next week. He's enjoying some well-deserved time off. He's out of camp exceptional right now. Just before the break, I got the Blazers press release with an injury update on rookie Shaden Sharp. The team announced he's undergone further evaluation of that small labral tear in his left shoulder. It has been determined surgery will not be required, which is the least Blazers thing ever. That's fantastic news. Or may, maybe it's not. I mean, maybe that happens all the time, but we only remember, you know, the Nasir Littles and, and the Sam Bowies and the Greg Odins and the Bill Waltons, and I could go on and on and on. Uh, Sharp will continue rehab. And then the great news, he's expected to be good to go for fall training camp so almost two weeks to the day the injury occurred uh in that uh summer league game against detroit that was on july 7th uh it came out that he was going to be reevaluated in two weeks they diagnosed him with that labral tear i think it was like two days after that game when they actually diagnosed it since it's not regular season they didn't immediately get him into an mri machine that night uh so uh that was 13 days ago shaden sharp expected to be a full go good to go And first of all, that's great news for the Trailblazers. Uh, I think it's especially great news for Trailblazers fans who are really excited to see what we got. Shaden Sharp, the ultimate mystery box in the NBA draft. It could be anything. It could even be a a potential superstar. Who knows? Uh, As far as what kind of impact he's going to have on the Trailblazers this year, I'm not sure that he's going to be a major rotation player. Uh, He could be. I mean, that's that's the the great thing about a player like Sharp where you never know. I mean, all all of this is just guesses. We could be way off base. So, you know, I, I look at a guy where the sky is the is the absolute limit for this kid. Athletic is all get out. Great shooter. He also hasn't really played in a year. You don't know exactly what he's going to be able to bring to an NBA basketball team in that first year. So I wouldn't be shocked if he works his way into the rotation. I wouldn't be shocked if he averaged, you know, 10 points a game. I also wouldn't be shocked if he played the entire year in the G League. Like you really have no idea, but at least Blazer fans are going to get a look at this kid and see what they got. It's great news. That's that's the worst part is that we ha- he didn't play in college. He mm-hmm. went to Kentucky, just practiced there, did play, so we didn't see him there. 
And then as soon as he hurt his shoulder at the start of summer league, we all kind of knew like, all right, his summer league's over. Yeah. Like there's no reason to rush him back. And it was the one guy that we all wanted to see. We've seen all these second year players that played well in the summer league, but it was Shane Sharp, the guy that we want to see. So I, it was, it, it sucks that we haven't seen him, but I think he's definitely going to get an opportunity to be an everyday role player on this team. I don't know if he's going to take advantage of it, but I think he's going to be the first one off the bench to be able to handle the basketball, right? Gary Payton II isn't that type of player. Nasir Little's not the type of player to handle the ball off the bench. Trenton Watford is kind of that player, but I think Shaden Sharp, they're going to want to see what he can do. And I think if it's a really good season for him, he's kind of that seventh, eighth man off the bench where he comes in the game, handles the ball, makes some plays because the Blazers don't have that backup point guard. And so I think when he comes in, Dame or Anthony Simons will be in as well, and they can kind of split duties, take a little pressure off those guys. But I think he's the guy who's going to get the first opportunity over a guy like Keon Johnson or you know any other guard on the roster. Yeah, Steven, i got to respectfully disagree with you here. I, Shaden Sharp is just so raw, so inexperienced, and he misses chance at Summer League. The last time he's played in a competitive game, uh, it was back in high school, right? And uh, all the highlights that we've seen of him are, you know, pretty loosely officiated and a lot of, you know, kind of pickup basketball style, that AAU style, and I'm not sure – I think this guy's going to take a couple of years because of his lack of experience in basketball. It would have been really nice for him to get those summer league reps, but I think of Keon Johnson, even a Brandon Williams, guys that saw the court last year on that awful Blazers team, guys that saw the court in summer league, not only this season, but the last couple of seasons. And I think those two guys are going to get the nod when it comes to backup point guard roles. I just think Shaden Sharp, he's, he's not going to be there. He's super talented, but you have to remember, like, we've seen something similar to this in uh, Anthony Simons. And sure, Terry Stotts was the head coach, but Anthony Simons was the same deal. He didn't go to college, and he played pretty much AAU basketball at IMG Academy. We didn't get to see him his rookie year. Now look at him. You know, it could turn out great, but at the same time, I, I don't think that guys like this, these guys from high school to the NBA, especially when you look at Summer League, I, I don't think it's going to work out in year one. See, and that's what's so intriguing about this guy is, you know, you hear all these uh, experts where they say, man, if he hadn't reclassified, he would have been the number one overall pick next year, P- potentially. I mean, obviously you have Wimbayama, but, 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 you know, but a lot of people are, you know, saying that they, they make that claim and you go, well, man, if he's going to be, we'll, we'll say top two pick then. Uh, and so you go, well, that's a guy that no matter what, you throw him right in the rotation and those guys, you know, 14, 18, 20 points a game, whatever they're going to get missed. So how much does not having played in that year, how much did that actually affect his development? I mean, certainly some measurable amount, whatever that is, but we just don't know how much. And you can look at these guys and you can always sort of project, man, this is what they're going to do. This is what I expect. This is what I'm anticipating their role to be. This guy is truly a mystery to, to, I mean, all of us, really. I mean, certainly to me, like I said, Double-digit averages? Sure, that makes total sense to me. The sky's the limit. He's potentially a superstar. Doesn't even uh, play an NBA minute. He's in the G League the entire year just to play catch-up, and then he's a baller next year. Yeah, that makes sense, too. That's that's the that's the one thing, but I do think with him being the seventh overall pick, you know, he measured in at six foot five with a six eleven and a half wingspan. I think that's very important for the Blazers just because they have been so small uh, with all the guards that they have. Even Josh Hart is, you know, six four, six five. Yeah. But, uh, sharp with a longer wingspan. I think potentially, hopefully, he can guard. If he's if he proves valuable on the court, he could guard some of those bigger wings. And so I think he's going to get the first chance. 
And like you said, Peter, maybe he doesn't take advantage of it. Maybe he struggles and he goes to the G League or, you know, maybe he does well. But I do think he's going to be the guy that gets that first crack off the bench to be guy because he's got the length, he's got the athleticism, and he has the skills. Obviously, like you talked about, a lot of draft experts say he would have been a top five, top three pick next season. John Calipari said the same thing where his that's who watched him play in practice every single day. So I think he's going to get a chance. It's just kind of up to him what he does with it. I'm with you. It's not going to surprise me if he averages 10 a night or he's back in the G League real quick. The the length is so intriguing, though. I mean, the dude's he's built like Paul George, just an inch shorter. Yeah. And the thing is, you do, height is overrated. You, you don't guard with your head. It's the, it's the length. And what is the one thing we've always been asking in Portland? Yes. Get that lengthy guy. And Shane Sharp is that. Not only is he six level wingspan, but he's athletic. And so mm-hmm. if it does hit, like that is the missing piece the Blazers have been missing for right. so many years. So I'm so intrigued to see. And you, this is something you can even see in preseason is just what, what kind of defense does he play? Cause yeah. the physical tools are there. And if he, if there's a pretty, uh, you know, a quick learning curve there in that regard to actually play NBA defense, I mean, that, that eliminates a lot of question marks when it comes to sharp seeing time on the court. Yeah. It, just here, going back to my original point though, he has the potential to be a great defender, but you go back to his most recent highlights back in high school and he is a traffic cone. People were walking right mm-hmm. by him, and it's an effort thing back in high school. Like, he was the most talented guy on the court, but he's not used to this competitive and organized and, you know, NBA, like, that high stakes of basketball. He didn't play like that in college. He didn't get summer league action. So I, I think for now he's he, he might be the worst defender on the team. He might be because he just doesn't have those reps. On and a team with Anthony Simons. I, I seriously <laughs> think if, if – if he sees the court next year because of his lack of experience, it, it's going to be rough. And he might throw down some crazy dunks. He might show these crazy flashes. But I, I just don't think he's had the reps and or the competitive juice in him quite yet. I think he's going to take a couple of years of nurturing. And I would rather personally as a Blazer fan see the guy that might be a little less talented but is going to work really hard and is a little bit more polished on the defensive side of the ball. And to me, that's Keon Johnson. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, Chauncey and Joe Cronin all offseason have been talking about they want competitors, they want defense, and Chauncey said that about Shane Sharp. He came into the workout and he was competitive the entire time. He loved that about him. Shane Sharp has talked about how he wants to do anything he can to get on the floor and prove that he can play on this level. So for me, it's just... I, I, again, I don't know what it's going to be. Sean, you may be right, and he may be Anthony Simons where he's unplayable in year one or year two, but I think he's going to get the first crack because this is Joe Cronin's guy, right? Cronin comes in. He brings in Mike Schmitz to help him with the draft. This is their guy. This is their piece. Just like the old Shays piece was Damon CJ. Right now, I think Cronin and Schmitz are going to put their name to Shaden Sharp, and they're going to say, let's let's get him an opportunity to see what he could do. This entire conversation might, might end up being meaningless if the Blazers just decide to stagger uh, Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons. Suddenly, Anthony Simons is kind of that backup point guard. They used to do that with CJ a lot. Right. I mean, can you name... Evan Turner, I guess, was kind of a backup point guard in that era of Blazers, but they used to stagger CJ, so he was leading the bench group as the point guard, and then Dame would get his rest. They might just do that with Anthony Simons, and then your guards are suddenly, you know, Gary Payton and Josh uh, Hart at the two, and then kind of Dame and Anthony running, splitting. You know, Anthony's still the starting two guard, but he stays in there with the bench group. They might just do that if if Sharp or Keon Johnson or 
uh, Williams, none of them are in that spot. Yeah, I'd anticipate them to do that, at least to some degree. I mean, Simon's not a natural passer, but one thing that I was really impressed with last year, it wasn't just the sort of offensive explosion that we saw once he started getting time. His court vision has improved so much over the last couple years, and you saw it with CJ. I mean, you you didn't have a legit backup point guard, so by default it was CJ because he was a great ball handler, but man, he got tunnel vision like no one's business, not just getting his own shot too, but like it was so predictable even just watching on TV like, oh, he just gave a one and a half second heads up where he's throwing the ball. Like it was clear as day. It was telegraphed to the defender. And that sounds like a small thing, but that's that's not good for your 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 point guard. No, not at all. And that is the one spot I've always had the Blazers need is that backup ball handler that can really facilitate the offense. You know, Dame's not even truly that pure point guard. Right. right? Like he's always looking for his shot as well. So, uh, you know. I do agree. I think Simon's going to get a chance. I think Hart's going to get a chance to play with the ball in his hands. I think Shaden Sharp's going to get a chance. It's going to be a lot of committee uh, after Damian Lillard when he gets those breaks. And it's interesting and just going to be fun to watch because, you know, for me, Shaden Sharp is a guy the Blazers have needed for so long, a guy with a lot of potential, a lot of hope, and a lot of length. And that's something that the Blazers doesn't have. Now they have it. So hopefully he can uh, turn out and be a really good player. Yeah. So remains to be seen. And the good news is, I mean, just that he's going to be available, even if the Blazers underwhelm, even if they disappoint, it ends up being, I, I don't want to call it a meaningless season, but if they're out of the playoff picture, if nothing else, he's healthy. We at least have a reason to watch and watch his development. All right, we'll go away, come back on the other side. I do want to talk a little NFL football. Jimmy Garoppolo in the news, and he could be on the move soon. Finally, maybe. We'll talk about it. Welcome back to the show. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. You are still listening to the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. The 49ers have given Jimmy Garoppolo's agents permission to seek a trade. Adam Schefter had that first for ESPN. Garoppolo, of course, is recovering from offseason surgery on his throwing shoulder. And he's been cleared to start practicing as the Niners prepare for the start of training camp next week. Uh, I would expect they're still going to exercise some caution this summer with him. Uh, obviously, he went, underwent surgery in March, which uh, sort of delayed their efforts to trade him. Anyway, they're ready to move on to Trey Lance. That's it's not a secret. I don't think they're even trying to make it a secret. Everyone's on board with this move. So Garoppolo's 30. He's entering the final season of his deal. He's scheduled to count uh, nearly $27 million against the cap. Now, there was a no-trade clause, but that was for the 2021 season only, so the Niners have the right to trade him to any team of their choosing. And if anyone does trade for him, they would take on a $24 million salary if it traded for him right now. But that salary is not guaranteed, so interested teams could possibly work with him on an extension that knocks down that salary number in exchange for guarantees. So Jimmy Garoppolo and his agents do now have permission to seek a trade. Man, and here we are July 20th. I mean, <laughs> Baker Mayfield has uh, moved to Carolina. I mean, who's let, who should trade for Jimmy G, fellas? Yeah, that's the thing. That was the first thing that came to mind is who has more value between him and Baker Mayfield, right? Like, I think right. Jimmy Garoppolo is a better quarterback than Baker Mayfield, but the injury thing just kind of worries me a lot with Jimmy G where Baker Mayfield has stayed relatively healthy. When he is hurt, he just plays through it. So, yeah, I mean, 
it really seems like who are the options out there? Seattle is an option that needs a quarterback. New Orleans comes to mind. New, New Orleans, but I just saw Jameis, Jameis Winston is healthy and ready to go. So it's like, do they want to invest in Jimmy G? I, I don't know that there's necessarily any teams out there besides maybe in Seattle that he comes in and he's looking to be the starter right away. Yeah, I've just I've been confused by San Francisco's offseason a little bit yeah. because it feels like they have they've multiple situations that have uh, that have grabbed storylines within the NFL uh, spheres. You have the Jimmy G situation, and the second their season ended, and he you know he threw that pick at the end of the NFC Championship, you knew he wasn't going to be there, and yet they've been kind of stalling on that, or they haven't been able to figure that part out. And then the Debo Samuel thing, which obviously he is a uh, he's a superstar and. He, uh, he he's an awesome player, one of the most fun players in the entire NFL to watch, and yet they haven't given him the extension. He still technically wants a trade, and it feels like they've been stalling on that as well, and they're kind of waiting for the season to start. So San Francisco, it seems like they've been quiet when there's a lot of noise going on within their building. Yeah, I mean, the the thing to me, it's it just the timing of this is interesting. And I know that the shoulder injury threw a wrinkle in everything because, you know, someone would have snapped him up. I mean, we've seen a, I mean, not an excessive amount of quarterback movement, but there's been some. And I mean, again, just like, you know, with Baker, where Seattle made perfect sense. I mean, maybe Jimmy G makes sense there. I guess if you're if you're trying to win, he he makes sense to a degree, especially because he's entering the final season of that deal. I'm sure you can restructure something. I don't know that they're. I th- I really think for better or worse, they're rolling with Drew Locke and Geno Smith. I think they want to lose. Yeah, I think they want to lose. I think they have their eyes on uh, Bryce Love, Bryce Bryce Young, excuse yep. me, and uh, C.J. Stroud, and then if not, you know, Will Anderson and Jackson Smith and Jig. But it is a stacked NFL draft this year. And the fact that the Seahawks are are rolling with the the guys that they're rolling with right now, I think I think they're thinking about the future. Well, I also think that Pete Carroll and John Schneider want to prove, you know what, this wasn't Russell Wilson's success. This is our success. This is our program. This is why we won. Mm. It wasn't him. It's us. And so they get rid of Russ, and they're going to go with a quarterback that isn't as good, obviously, and try to win. I don't think it's a great strategy. I think it's going to be terrible. But I think Pete Carroll has that in his mind. Yeah, hubris leads to the downfall of so many people, teams, organizations. I mean, that it's like a Jerry Krause situation all over again. Because I mean, look, and I'm not, I, I, I'm not the biggest Russell Wilson fan. Like, I mean, he's a great quarterback. He's, I mean, he really is. It's just again, kind of like we, we were talking about Tom Brady and the extreme manufactured uh, sort of brand. Russell Wilson the same way. But again, there's no denying Russell Wilson. Man, I, I they're not going to be great without him. Hour number two ahead. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano. Here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth. Hour number two of the BFT, Peter Sampson in for John Canzano, rolling with you on a beautiful Wednesday. Hope you're staying cool out there. It's going to be another hot one today, or I guess I should say it is a hot one today. We talked a lot of food yesterday. We really did. Talked barbecue. I'm not even going to get into the whole Smarties conversation. I, I had a lot of online chatter coming at me yesterday about that. And in person. I got home. And Kim asked me, how was the show? And she listens. Like, she's, li- but also, you know, she has a life and a job and she's busy. And I go, well, what did you hear? 
It was good. It was a good show. What did you hear? Something about smoking Smarties, and it just set me off again. And I ranted for like, I don't know, seven or eight minutes while I was grilling burgers last night. But uh, we talked about ribs. Again, I, fellas, I'm going to bring a couple ribs in on Monday because I'm going to grill two racks, and it's only for uh, two adults and a child. And I know you're listening right now. You're like, oh, it's a child's play. I could eat a rack and a half myself. Yeah, I get it. But, uh, you know, we debated the, uh, am I going sauce? Am I going dry rub? We settled on the dry rub. And the thing is, whether I want it or not, uh, I accept that my legacy in this job is not going to be my sports takes. It's not going to be my NBA connections. It's my kitchen advice. It just is. And I can fight that or I can just uh, close my eyes, take a deep breath, relax, and just let it wash over me. The It's a fact. The uh, the Michelada recipe that I share all the time, that's a big hit. I, I get requests for that every quarter. I share that a lot. And I got a couple asks for the dry rub recipe. So I'm going to share it really quickly. I did not reach out to Matt Preem. Matt Preem is the barbecue master. Oh, and by the way, he also does a bunch of great Ducks coverage at 24-7 Sports. You know that as well, uh, friend of the program. But uh so first of all, you got to talk about the building blocks of a good rib rub. And of course, if you're going slow and low, and of course you are if you're making ribs, you got to go slow and low, break down those collagens. That's how you get a nice, soft, melt-in-your-mouth rib. You do the same thing if you're barbecuing chicken. You sear the outside. Uh, if you don't have skin, maybe you know just a little oil, salt, and pepper on that bad boy. Sear the outside. Remove it from the direct heat, and you are cooking that thing. Man, you can go as low as like 190 with the chicken. I like to go at, eh, you know, 225 degrees, and you do it for 90 minutes, two hours, and you're constantly just turning and basting. And the reason you do that is you, you have the sugars in the sauce. They start to caramelize, and that's what gives you that complex, delicious barbecue flavor that we all love. And I know there's a big chunk of the audience that is saying, yeah, duh, I get that. But look, you might not know that. Maybe you're, you're you're a younger guy. Maybe you lived in an apartment your whole life, and you just now finally have a backyard. You just got a grill of your own. Man, no judgment. I get it. I'm here for you. It's the same reason on the uh, on the local show, the, the Portland only show, why, uh, you know, sometimes back when it was on Saturdays, we would have just a, a winemaker in studio. Let's talk about wine tasting. And we're going to start from the basics because I guarantee there's someone out there driving around who's always wanted, man, I've always wanted to go wine tasting, but I don't, I don't know what to do. And I don't want to, I don't want to take my lady out there on a nice Saturday, uh, you know, day trip to wine country in the Willamette Valley. And I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm doing. And the fact is, I don't know what I'm doing. So, okay, we'll, we'll take it from the t- top, give you some basic notes. You can take your lady out there. You can have a couple hours. You you know a couple things to talk about, a couple things you're looking for, and you can impress her. And, and it'll just help you have a good time. So I understand. I might be giving you some basics right now, but I guarantee there's someone out there that doesn't know this. So the best rib rubs start with a sugar base. And, of course, if you're talking uh, ribs, man, pork and sweet were just made to go together, truly made to go together. I remember uh, uh, the best, uh, like, uh, short ribs, which are a different thing I ever had, was a great Szechuan joint called Lucky Strike. It it used to be connected to the Hawthorne Theater, and they had these Guinness marinated pork ribs that were like pig candy. Man, they were so sweet and so delicious. So you start with some sugar. From there, generally, you'll see recipes with salt and pepper, and then a mix of things that are custom 
to basically whoever's actually doing the uh, the grilling, the barbecuing. At that point, it branches off and everyone's got their own things. I like to add a little smoked paprika. Gives you a boost, especially if you're like me. I know you might be a purist. I admit, I cook with gas. I'm not doing charcoal. I'm not. It's just so much easier to control temperature, move things to the side, get away from indirect heat. I can know exactly what I'm cooking with. So I like to add in a little smoked paprika. You get a little bit of color, that nice red color that pops. You get that wood-fired flavor a little bit, especially if you're doing that Spanish excuse me, Spanish smoked paprika. Onion and garlic, absolutely necessary classic flavor enhancers. I like to do a, just a tiny bit of ground mustard in there. It just punches up your rub a little bit because it's all about balancing flavor, right, fellas? Look, you're, you're, it's sweet, savory smoky, acidic, and you're just balancing all these things together in different levels. It's just like it's just like painting with primary colors, and it's just different levels of primary colors. You make music. You have high frequencies, mid frequencies, and low frequencies. You That's all you do, basically. No matter what you make, it's those three uh, general frequencies, and you pan them left to right somehow. That's mixing. That's all it is. That's how it is with cooking. Now, my secret ingredients in my rib rub, Celery salt, and then some of you are going to think I'm weird, but I assure you this is good. Tiny bit of cinnamon. Cinnamon is low-key, underrated when it comes to cooking. I also do, if I'm making a, uh, I make a great, uh, like a ta- like gravy, Sunday gravy, just thick Italian tomato sauce. Every, every uh, you know, it'll be next month when my tomatoes all of a sudden just emerge. And, oh, wow, look at that. I have 75 tomatoes that are ready to go in my garden right now. I make a sauce, a little bit of cinnamon. It also sounds crazy, a little bit of chocolate in there. Not enough that you actually taste it, but those flavor compounds, it gives it this richness where you go, man, what is that? That's incredible. A little bit of cinnamon in your rub. It gives it just this lip-smacking quality. You can't identify it when you're eating it, but people always come back for more. And, of course, celery salt gives it kind of an earthy balance to the sweetness from the brown sugar. Again, all about balance. So you can put that all together. I'll give you the actual recipe. You can put it all together. Make sure you store it airtight, cool, dark place. I see a lot of people where their spice rack is directly above the stove. Don't do that. Don't keep your olive oil near the stove. Don't keep your spices right uh, over the stove because the heat is going to make those things lose those essential oils that provide the flavor even faster. I get it. Look, we live in Southeast Portland in a typical Southeast Portland neighborhood. What that means is our kitchen's pretty small. So you're sort of limited. I get it, but at least try to keep it to the left of the stove, to the right of the stove in a cool, dark place. So here's how I like to do it. I'm doing a quarter cup of brown sugar, two teaspoons kosher salt, two teaspoons black pepper, two teaspoons smoked paprika, one teaspoon each of the garlic powder, the onion powder, and the ground mustard, only a half a teaspoon of the cinnamon, half a teaspoon of the celery salt, and then I like a little bit of kick quarter teaspoon of the cayenne pepper, depending on who you're eating with. If they can handle a little spice, you can go ahead and double that. But the thing is, is I got to make it safe for the eight-year-old. He's an adventurous eater, but he doesn't get down with the spice. So I only do a quarter teaspoon of that. You mix it all in the bowl. Make sure to use a fork to crush up any clumps of the brown sugar, and you are set to rub. At that point, 
you take it out of the, the ribs out of the pack. You make sure to cut that membrane off. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I guarantee there will be a YouTube video or something. It's nice and easy to do. You slice that membrane off, pat it dry. If you want to do a tiny bit of oil, and I mean the smallest amount of oil you can imagine just to ensure that that rub will stick, you can do that. It's also not necessary. And then do not be shy with the rub. That's it. That's all there is to it. Slow and low is the name of the game, and I assure you, you will have some delicious ribs. Well, all I know is if you're telling the truth and you've become Monday with ribs, I'm very excited. So yeah. uh, I'm in the mood right now to uh, have Monday come right now. Is Monday tomorrow? I think it should be. <laughs> yeah, no, this sounds fantastic. My uh, family makes uh, Super Bowl ribs. That's kind of the one time of the year that I get to experience that, uh, and it's it's delightful. Now, let me ask you a question. You never mentioned, so you're a dry rub guy, so we're not talking barbecue sauce here. I mean, I'll do that, too. There's okay. nothing wrong. But do you ever do both? Like, is it if you go dry rub, you can't do barbecue sauce? I mean, there, there's no rules. You okay. could. It's just, it's just not pure. You know what I mean? You have the aficionados. The, no, no, no. I like a dry rub in this style, or I want this style sauce. A lot. If I'm making two racks, though, a lot of times I'll do one of each. I'll, I'll have one dry rub, and then I'll do, uh, you know, again, I'm, I'm typically the, the Carolina style sauce. So it's a little more vinegary. But when you're doing rubs, that's when you want that, like, sweet, smoky. You know, you'll see, like, whiskey barbecue sauces and things like that. Again, because you get that extra sweetness a little extra brown sugar in that sauce to, to really uh, go with the pork of the ribs. Uh, so a lot of times, I'll do one of either, you know, if I'm making two, but this time I'm going to go exclusively with the, the dry rub. And another question for you. if For those like myself that can't make ribs at home, where are the uh, the best places to eat ribs at? What where you, what's the best eating out uh, ribs experience that you've had? And then the second part is, you ever, have you ever tried the, the Costco ribs? I've never had Costco ribs. Uh, I'm sure former Costco employee uh, Stephen Vaughn can share a thought on those in a second. Uh, I used to do Rio's ribs. Uh, they weren't great, but it was kind of a classic Portland spot. Campbell's out on Powell used to be great, but they changed. Uh, they've been around for decades, but they changed ownership like 10 or 15 years ago. Of course, uh, you could always go, gosh, I'm blanking on the uh, the name in Selwood with the Sandwich and Session special. Uh, oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on that. I'm blanking on a name right now. They, they, used to, they used to sponsor a segment on this show, and that's not why I'm shouting them out. They used to do Who Got Smoked on Mondays, brought to you by Reverend's Barbecue. Reverend's oh. Barbecue is great. And then there was a, there was a, a food cart uh, right by John's Marketplace in Powell, where like JoJo was there for a little bit. I'm blanking on the name of that as well because they they shut down. He he gave it up and was just like, you know, I'm not making a bunch of money. But they were fantastic what as about well. Famous Dave's. You ever had Famous Dave's? I've had, I've had Famous Dave's. It's fine. We used to get that back in the corporate world. That was the you, you ever work a lame job where they say thank you not by paying you more, but they say thank you like with a pizza party. Or they let you wear jeans or some crap like that. Yeah, I worked at a place like that. But at least instead of like 50 pies from the hut, they would get some famous Dave. So, you know, at least at least at least uh, it was saucy. That, you know that what I'm saying? reminds me that story you just told that when I drove DoorDash during COVID, yeah. my biggest payday ever was famous Dave's. And I picked up for a uh, for a Friday lunch meeting for some company a bunch of famous Daves and I got the craziest tip. And that's what I think of when I think of famous Daves. I was just so elated when that happened. Uh, so yeah, like if you ever drive DoorDash, it was kind of prime during COVID, but sure. uh, you, 
sometimes you know like a company outing like that they can pr- provide quite the friendly well, c- tip yeah because they have a budget it's preset it was probably preset 10 months ago gotta use it if we came under and we don't have time to like do this again or the money to do it again like look we set the budget in april and now it's next march we need to spend a thousand dollars this order was seven hundred and fifty dollars we're not going to spend the rest here enjoy it it's not my money that makes perfect sense i wish that was my story i I have a story of driving uh doordash and uber eats and all that where uh it was five guys and it was just some business that got a bunch of burgers i mean and i calculated it because it took forever to get the order it was like 250 bucks worth of five guys no tip on it i was uh not excited about that i worked at a five guys give me a break no tip on that i couldn't believe it i uh and the problem is you rate them right after you deliver it, so you can't change the rating. I went in and I complained, and I tried to change the rating really hard because they deserved it. That's unbelievable. I mean. <sighs> it took me two trips to the car. Like, I couldn't carry all the bags at one. Like, I had to do two separate trips. And yeah. All the way to the back of the store, drop them off, no tip. I was Got to tip your driver, man. And Dude. look, th- that's unbelievable because, like, look, first of all, tip a percentage man especially if it's extra work and it's so big it's keeping you from other you know picking up other jobs or gigs or whatever you call them you know go go picking up another order but that like it's one thing to just go okay well the tip on uh, one regular order versus a massive corporate order it should be proportional you can at least understand if it's not just oh you're cheap Okay, right. but at least I got my, you know, five bucks or whatever. But that's unbelievable, man. It, it was insane. And speaking of Costco ribs, now, yeah. uh, you know, they have them in the deli. Like, they make them there. Definitely not as popular as the rotisserie chicken. You know, the, people buy those things like, you know, just what, I mean, like they're super cheap. And I don't know. They must be really good. I used to live off oh, those things. Unbelievable. It's like one out of they're every awesome. ten person, I feel like, buys one or two. Uh, but the ribs, definitely not as popular as the chickens. You yeah, know, Costco makes a loss on uh, on the rotisserie chicken. Yeah, well known fact that it costs more than five dollars for Costco to manufacture those. I lived off of those things, man. When because when you, you're really busy and you get home, it's like, oh my gosh, now I have to make dinner. I'm so tired. You can just grab one of those things. Just grab a prepackaged, you know, a little bag of spring mix. Throw some dressing over it, chicken and salad. And then again, so I'd pick those things clean. And then I immediately I take the carcass and I'd put it like in a in a plastic like a grocery bag and tie it off and throw it in the freezer. And once I had three of those, man, you got enough that you can make your homemade chicken stock, add some, you know, bay leaf and celery and carrots and everything to that, boil that all day, then bam, homemade homemade soup. Costco. Costco for the win. That's all I know. That's what's up, man. I, I I've never had the Costco ribs though again i'm 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 pretty devoted to that chicken bake for better or worse yeah i haven't had the ribs either so i i mean i'm i'm down to try them i can't imagine they're as good as these other places oh no, yeah but, peter uh... you'd be disappointed based on what you just described <laughs> they're pretty basic i like I mean, there's some seasoning on there it's a dry rub rib but uh yeah, they're pretty basic. Yeah, I I definitely want to shout out Reverends out in Selwood one more time, man, because uh, that's that's the joint. You can you can get whatever you want. They have multiple options, and again, it's so easy to get in and just go a la carte, and that's the key. Like I understand if you go, okay, you get this meal, and you know you have your choice to say you know five, six sides, whatever it is, and you kind of order those a la carte. But you can get the plate of you know St. Louis or the plate of you know of the uh, you know 
whatever other type of rib. But there you can truly easily and affordably, it's not a, a big markup or anything just to go a la carte. Man, I'll take one of that dry rub, one of this, one of this sauce, one of that, and you're good to go, fellas. Sounds delicious. It sounds like uh, somewhere I might be going later tonight. That's what's up, man. Well, Monday, don't don't uh, don't uh, overshoot your uh, desire for ribs because, okay. again, there's no way that just Kim and I and then my kid who's going to eat like two, there's no way we're going through two racks this weekend. So uh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready yeah. to go. Rock on. You'll get to experience it. So that's the uh, – I've already gotten two requests to uh, tweet that recipe out, so I will do so later. And that's my public service announcement. Again, I'm just trying to make your life better. I'm trying to help you out. You'll thank me. Your significant other will thank me. This is so good. Where did you learn that? Believe it or not, on a sports radio show. I got you. You're not going to find it anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking and you're trying to date, I mean, that's something that's going to impress, you know, a woman or something. It's critical. Yeah, yeah like you're I looking at cook. me as you say yeah, that. Yeah, I'm looking at Sean. Yeah. I'm looking at Sean right now. You know, if you're trying to impress somebody, this bro, is a good way to do it. Bro, at your age, the thing is, so growing up, man, I... uh and I hated it at the time, but it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because starting at age like nine, I was responsible for dinner for my family once a week. And it wasn't a matter of, the, of like, oh, I was home alone. No one was around. It wasn't that. But, you know, parents were busy. They're working. My dad's a contractor and he's working long hours and my mom's busy and all that. So it was just like Wednesday nights, little Samson, you're in charge. And I hated it. But I learned these fundamentals of cooking. And eventually, I started to love it. Now, the reason that was so great is, I mean, not only now do I eat incredibly well, but like when I was your age, Sean, and I'd have a lady friend over, I didn't really have money to go out on a date. I can't take you to the steakhouse. I can't even really take you to a to a movie, a dinner in a movie. Can't do anything like that. But I'll tell you what. Why don't you come over? We'll hang out. We'll cook together. Oh, yeah. Well, what's that, that going to be? We're going to have some mac and cheese. We're going to have some spaghetti. And we could do the most delicious stuff. You know, I, I know how to, you know, perfectly, you know, uh, cook a steak to a medium rare. I know how to make, you know, wonderful Mediterranean food. It makes souffle afterwards. All those things. Scores major points. Much more affordable than going out. Definitely. And shout out to Ripsy Mike, who is doing DoorDash right now listening to us. He says he can uh, feel feel my pain with no tips. It's, it really sucks. So oh, shout yeah. out to Rip City Mike right there. I, I see it. Rip City Mike, one of the OG Samsonites there, man. He's 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 uh, followed me all around the uh, so if you clock. Order, if you order and Mike delivers you food, please tip him, everybody. Thank you. Please. Yeah, that that's the real lesson. So this, I'm, I'm proud That'll of this segment. That'll the women, too. Nice yeah. tip. Hey, you know what? I care about other people. That matters. That matters. Uh, I remember. Write this down, Sean. I remember so many years ago going, uh, being on a date, a first date. And uh, she uh, she didn't say until later, but, uh, you know, I tipped and I tipped handsomely. And she said later, I misread your tip and I was horrified. <laughs> and I said that I had to uh, go to the restroom as we were leaving. Do you remember this? I'm like, no. And she said, I went back to go leave more money. And then I looked and I actually saw that I'd missed the uh, the the the, uh, the second digit. You know, I tipped, you know, 15 bucks or whatever. She thought I'd tipped like five bucks. And she was like, thank goodness. It would have been a deal breaker. Yeah, she would have dropped you right then and there. Yeah. Hey, I'll just catch it right home. It's it's true, man. Take care of your wait staff. Take, take care of your drivers, man. Everyone's just trying to make a living. Society falls apart without that. You, I mean, truly, truly, your barista, your barista, man, they're, they're trying to pay for textbooks, man. Come on, let's get it done. We'll be back.
Welcome in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the BFT. James Harden has agreed on a two-year $68.5 million deal. He's returning to the 76ers. Looks like that includes a player option for the uh, 23-24 season. Harden uh, had declined that $47 million option to become a free agent. It was it was never in doubt that he was going to go back to Philly. So it's interesting. He declined the $47 million to take uh, 33 and then 35 in the uh, player option year. He can be a free agent again next summer if he wants to and negotiate another deal. And I know the idea with this was to free up a little bit of room so they can add some talent around him. James Harden turns 33 next month, averaged 22 points, 10 assists uh, last season. That's, of course, between the Nets and the Sixers. And uh, when he was traded to Philly, he looked really good for about three games <laughs> and then really uh, kind of just lost a step. He wasn't a difference maker and he was terrible in the playoffs, just terrible. Uh, didn't really matter for Philly. They lost in the second round for the fourth time in five years. James Harden at 33, it's out in the media that he's extra motivated. You know, he took less money so they could add some more talent. He's motivated to win, motivated to work on his body. I'd like to believe that. I don't know if I believe that. James Harden, he looked essentially washed, at least as someone that averages 22 and 10 can look washed. Are we expecting him to have a bounce back year next year? Yeah, I, I don't. I do not think so. I think... He's still a really good player. He just doesn't have that explosive step anymore. And he was never the most athletic guy in the world. And so when he was getting to the free throw line, it was a lot of with his body and things like that. And he would just get that one step on you where now he's having a hard time just getting that initial step on you. But I do like that he took less money. I yep. mean, he took less money and they used that money to sign PJ Tucker and Daniel House because the 76ers were lacking those shooters and defenders. And PJ Tucker has been you know a really good player on really good teams. Uh, Daryl Morey special, PJ Tucker. So I like that Harden took less money. I think it's really cool that he's doing that, but I don't expect him to be MVP level Harden anymore. But I do think he can be a really good player. It's it's a it's a weird fit with him and Embiid though, as being your top two guys. So I don't I never expect Harden to be MVP level again, but I expect him to be very good again and averaging about twenty and ten. Yeah, I, I don't see it either. And it first of all, it's really funny that they use that money on PJ Tucker and Daniel House. Like they're literally just running it back like the Rockets did. Uh, you know, Daryl Morey's getting all of his old guys back together in Philly. But, no, James Harden, his game is highly reliant on his quickness, and it's, you know, it's the first step, and it's beating people to the bucket, and I think he, he's slowly losing it, and it, it's pretty apparent. And I think the wheels are falling off a little bit, and uh, what was a massive advantage for him, you know, his, his footwork and his agility and his quickness, he, he's, he's losing that. So... I think that plus the addition of Tyrese Maxey, I think he's going to have the ball in his hands a little bit less. And I think we're going to see a different version of James Harden, still a solid player offensively, you know, and, and probably more of a ball handler, uh, but less of a high efficiency scorer, less of a high volume uh, offensive player and more of a initiator and uh, probably just helping Tyrese Maxey, helping Joel Embiid and, I think we're going to see a lot less scoring from Harden, maybe more assists. Yeah, it's interesting bringing P.J. Tucker back. I saw P.J. Tucker's made more money after the age of 35 than he did before the age of 35. <laughs> kind of interesting there. But, yeah, James Harden, I mean, look, the first step, you guys both hit on it, and that's key. I think another thing is is uh, 
officials and to a lesser degree players, they've sort of figured out his tricks, haven't they? And we all know what we're talking about, the, holding the ball out in front of him and then essentially kind of locking arms with you and going up to the rim. And the days of James Harden getting, you know, 14 free throw attempts a game. I mean, we might see games like that, but he's never going to average those numbers again. And that's why prime, prime James Harden was essentially the most efficient offensive player ever because you have the threes and the free throws and shots at the rim. That's it. And that defined that era of Houston basketball. And I think he can do it to a degree. But again, just as the game has changed again, officials just they know what to look for. Now, he sort of exploited. It's not that he exploited a rule per se, but he kind of did. He just exploited the way the game's officiated and he was rewarded handsomely for it. Yeah, totally. And it's kind of the same thing here. Dame, you know, we've always wanted Dame to play off the ball a little bit and if he can do it, he's going to do it this year with Anthony Simons and Jeremy Grant and Nurk all being able to handle the ball. James Harden, I mean, I would argue that Tyrese Maxey should get more looks than James Harden right now because he may even be a better player at this point in his career just because he's more athletic and can handle the ball. So can Harden become a catch-and-shoot shooter? He's never done that. Even when he was in Houston and he'd have catch-and-shoot opportunities, he would still catch it, put a dribble down, step back, and then three. Can he change his game a little bit? I think if he can, he can, you know, live up to this contract a little bit, but it's going to be hard for him to do that because he's never had to play off the ball. And so I think for Philadelphia to be successful, they're going to have to have him play off the ball a little bit, give the ball to Maxi, obviously give the ball to Embiid more, but you're right. You hit around the head. Like I, I don't, I don't know what to expect from him. He's just never going to be the same player he was. And people, people have kind of figured him out. So I want to see what he does off the ball a little bit more. Is Philly still a second round and out team? Yes. I don't. I don't think they're better than Boston. I don't think they're better than Milwaukee. I don't think they're better than Miami. I don't know that Joel Embiid is gonna have a year like he had last year too. Right. Let, let alone the health. I mean, after the first, obviously the two seasons where he didn't play, he's been relatively healthy. But I mean, for the most part, I know he had the orbital last year. But I mean, for the most part, he was healthy. That's a tough thing to count on with a guy like Embiid. Yeah, I mean, I think they're a four or five seed in the Eastern Conference and. When you're that, you're going to have to get lucky to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I, I don't see it with uh, with them right now. I think there's, it, again, it's it's Boston and Milwaukee that are they're a clear uh, edge above them. I, I'm not sure Miami is. Miami, I, I'm not big on the Miami. You know, I think that's a team that hasn't gotten a lot better this offseason. And if anything, they're getting older. Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler. But I, I would put them probably third in the East right now. And... Uh, again, there's probably two teams that are clearly above them. And, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how, how much better Philly has gotten this offseason, right? Like, they haven't really made any big splashes either. Yeah, Miami, who knows what that roster is going to look like by uh, by training camp, too. I know they they really want to pry Kevin Durant away. But the question is, what do you have to give up to get him, right? I, I mean, they'll get KD and they have to trade their whole roster. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. I think you're going to end up, if a move like that happens, I think it's going to be a massive four, maybe, I mean, maybe even five yeah. team deal. Uh, if you can prime away and have anything around him, like certainly you're having to get, give up with out bio, some other really important pieces in Miami, but you're right. I mean, they are getting older. I mean, respect to them. 
I mean, Miami's that team that I feel like I've just kind of continuously counted out over the last few years why they keep winning. They make a finals, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, those guys. Yeah, right, but, you know, one seed. Hard to take them seriously sometimes. See, I, I, I'm i opposite of you guys. Like, I loved Miami last year. I thought they were going to make the NBA finals. I love Eric Spolster. I think he's probably the best coach in the NBA. I love what Pat Riley does. I always have confidence that he's going to bring the really good players. And I'm high on Jimmy Butler. I know Jimmy Butler's regular seasons are never great, but when it comes to a playoff performer – I would could argue he's a top five player performer in the league. Like that's how good he plays in the playoffs. It's a different, different game. It's a different Jimmy Butler. So I do I love Miami. I think they're going to rebound, uh, get some guys, and if they can get Durant, if they can get Donovan Mitchell, they get somebody like that. I think yeah. they're right back in it, Don- especially the Eastern Conference. Donovan Mitchell would be awesome for them. But if we're talking about the East, I, I, I don't think there's a trade out there for Kevin Durant. I don't think there's a trade out there for Kyrie Irving. I, I don't think the Lakers have it. And then I think Kevin Durant. Um, it, the price is going to be too steep for him. And I think this is already dying down. We're not talking about it anymore. Yep. I think this is slowly returning to normal. And look, I feel like the Suns already tried, and they ended up re-signing DeAndre Ayton. You know, the Raptors, it feels like that stalled as soon as they asked for Scotty Barnes. Like, I feel like Durant is going to return to the Nets, and as a result, Kyrie Irving is as well. And you look at the Nets, and... You know, they added T.J. Warren this offseason. They still have Ben Simmons around. Uh, they lost Bruce Brown, but all in all, you look at their 8 to 10 deep, and uh, yeah. they uh, they have a good roster. Yeah, a, good roster. a lot of people, I mean, T.J. Warren, because of the injury, everyone's forgotten about him. That The uh, the the COVID year, man, he was bubble. great he was awesome. for yeah. Indiana. Like, where in the hell did this guy come from? And it was a it was a foot injury, wasn't it? Didn't he? Didn't, wasn't he dealing with a foot? Yeah, I, I believe so. Missed a lot of time, and he seems to have uh, slipped off of everyone's radar. And of course, you don't know how that thing's going to react if he's uh, if it was just kind of a, a one off explosion, and he's going to kind of regress a little bit. But if they get anything close to that, T.J. Warren, and they do bring back Durant and Irving, Royce O'Neal, another name I forgot oh, that's to mention, right. they yeah, traded yeah. for him. So not that's, a bad roster. That's right. The that was the beginning of the Brian Windhurst meme was talking yeah. about the. Now why did they do that? That was the Royce O'Neal deal. Fascinating. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean Brooklyn potentially still there. I mean, whatever's gonna happen, even if it's nothing, I just I just want it to happen. Like, and it's so funny because the NBA. I love the drama of the NBA. The off season is better than the season in a lot of ways. But when it comes to just the, I'm just tired of Durant drama and Kyrie drama. I guess yeah, Ben Simmons no, drama. Those are the worst too because it was last year's the year before. It's always drama with those two. So yeah, let's get those figured out and then let's get the season going. Because I'm with you. The off season isn't great, but a lot of times that's what's more. You know, it's more interesting as the offseason, the actual game. So I'm more of a game guy. I want the games to start. So I'm ready to get Durant. Just get out of my life right now. Well, all I'm saying is Brooklyn, if if with a healthy Ben Simmons or like, you know, an energetic Ben Simmons that actually plays basketball like that, that team might be better than Philly. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Ben Simmons is limited, but what he does, he is elite. And I'm telling you, he's going to be motivated. I I want Ben Simmons in Portland. I mean, I know. it's not likely, but I'm telling you, he's he's going to surprise some people. He's not going he's not going to be all of a sudden, you know, a 37 percent three point shooter at volume. No, of course not. Very limited. But I'm telling you, Ben Simmons can play, man. We've forgotten that. The West is loaded like one through twelve, where the East top loaded deal you know, one through five is so good. Like we just talked about. I mean, to have Harden, Maxi, and Embiid, and we are arguing that they may be the fifth or sixth best team if you add Toronto in there. The top of the Eastern Conference is really good.
It really is. Take your thoughts on that. 503-417-7575. You can also tweet at me on Twitter, at Peter Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. I'm in for John Canzano today. More of the Bald Face Truth coming up next. Face Truth, Peter Sampson, and for John Canzano. I know it's only July. I'm Christmas shopping during that last commercial break. I've made the decision on my kid's Christmas gift. I know it's early. I'm going to buy him his own guitar and his own amp. It's time. It's time. That's pretty sick. I, I probably should. My, so my youngest, he's born on Christmas. Oh, wow. See, that's tough as a kid, man, because... Like, does he just get extra gifts? Because, I like, I've known people that were born on Christmas or someone that was the day after, and they said it was always difficult. Like, as a late June, man, as a child, it was like clockwork. Um, every six months, almost to the day, it's present time, baby. That's Yeah, it's summer. the summer birthdays, I'm always so jealous because I'm born in February. But, yeah, my youngest, he's only three, so mm. he kind of figured out what Christmas was, you know, a little bit last year. But you really find out who's cheap and who's not in the family, right? You know, <laughs> you find out the guy or the uncle. You know, I got that uncle out there. He's going to give him a birthday slash Christmas present. It's like, no, you got to give him two separate presents, a birthday and a Christmas present. Let's do something. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I know who you are, uncle. I'm not going to name Yeah, range. Kids notice that thing, yeah. too. And and I understand they, sh- they shouldn't. We tell them not to. It's okay. It's nice that anyone is thinking of you at all. But at the same time, it's like, man, come on. Come on. My birthday just doesn't count. Well, and it's like, can you imagine... Be like, hey, Peter, you know what? We're going to celebrate Christmas today. And then after the Christmas party, you want to come over to our house for a birthday party? It's like <laughs> it's the busiest time of year. And then right. you're like expecting people to come. And it's like, no, like he doesn't get his own special day. So we try to make it special. You know, we bring cupcakes to the Christmas parties. You know, try to sing happy birthday to him. Try to make it a little special. But I I don't know what I'm going to do, man. Luckily, he's only three right now. And yeah, four, but... M- maybe uh, maybe Christmas Eve celebration for the birthday or, or the day after Christmas for the birthday. Something but it's like, like that. Think about that. Like after Christmas, you're so tired. You don't want to do mm. anything the day after. So I don't know, man. I think he's just screwed. Yeah, Poor guy. <laughs> that's tough. That's <laughs> tough. So, yeah. Yeah. Getting him a little three quarter scale Strat, a little uh, spark mini amp. Uh, he always plays on mine. Uh, I mean, obviously they're a little too big. He, I mean, he can he can form the chords, but he can't just rip on it. It's funny too, man. I mean, kids have terrible taste in music, and he'll go to school and he'll they'll talk about music, and everyone's talking about you know just modern pop, and he's like, yeah, but do you know Eddie Cochran? Do you know Buddy Holly? Like, what? Who is that? It's good though. I'm pretty sure he's gonna cry, man. He he loves my stuff, and now he's gonna have his own. It's gonna be great. I'm, what I'm hoping is this is gonna be that gift for him like growing up we've all had that one gift that like really stuck with us like i I remember oh man i was probably 12 years old and uh my parents bought me it was a really nice you know adjustable breakaway basketball hoop to put at the end you know the the we lived on a dead end street so we could put it on the road i'd wanted one so bad they're they're a little spindy for the nice ones And then one year, the giant, giant box under the tree, and my dad went and mounted the pole. It was amazing. I could finally invite friends over, and I used that thing like crazy. I mean, hours and hours. All I did was shoot on that thing. Like, what what was that gift for you? Everyone's had that one. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably got to be something to the same line of that. Like, I remember getting basketball hoops, and it's just like, 
this is all I want to do now. Mm-hmm. Like we got the same exact thing because we had we had one planted up in the driveway, and then we got a second one. So we had like a mini full court. And yeah, it was awesome. So, and the first one, you know, the older one was definitely more worn down because we could lower the hoop and we could dunk. And of course, we're not supposed to hang on the rim and, you know, we're hanging on the rim all the time. So we needed a new hoop anyways. But then we had, you know, for a couple months, we had a couple, you know, full court games and then we had to take the old one down. So yeah, it, it, for me, it was basketball, you know, just growing up. That's all I wanted to do was just shoot hoops in the driveway. 503-417-7575. What was that gift? That you got when you were a kid. It could be Christmas, could be birthday, could be another occasion. Doesn't matter. But we all have that one that we remember. Sean, I want to come to you. What was that gift that you got when you were younger? It was several toy drones uh, that you Ooh. would, you know, cheaper, cheaper drones. Never, never one of the more expensive ones. But uh, my parents would always buy me like a, a drone, and I learned that they are extremely fragile. Yeah. Like the second that thing hits the wall, like I, I wouldn't take it outside or I took it outside a little bit, but it definitely wasn't crazy. It was, it was kind of like a house drone. And the second that thing hits the, hits the wall, it's gone. So literally the week after Christmas, like that toy was no longer, but it was all I wanted to do until I couldn't do it anymore. Also the battery life on those things was, was no good either. Oh, it's like 15 minutes or you something. You get like 10 it? minutes and then yeah. you have to switch the battery. So it, there's a lot of negatives when it comes to those cheap drones, but I always had a ton of fun flying them around and doing flips on them and all of that. See, that's crazy. My, they make them a little, some of them a little more child safe now. Like, like my kid has one, and it looks like a what is that called? An angler fish that has the like light that comes out of its head. <laughs> you know, it's a deep, horrifying deep sea fish. But the thing is, is the actual drone, it's it's within that. And the, the fish itself is made of like super flexible, lightweight plastic. So that if it just crashes into something, you're not hitting anything valuable. It's just, you know, the the, the fins of a fish or whatever. Because, uh, yeah, believe me, it turns out that young kids do not know how to fly those things. Man, he'd want to take it in the resident. I used to live in a town townhouse like an hoa community and he's trying to just fly that thing it's hitting neighbors windows and stuff i'm like dude they i get a nasty letter if i have the wrong colored flowers on my front porch what are they gonna they're gonna kick me out if you're flying a drone into someone's house yeah they can't you can't be smacking other people's houses i'm I'm not a big drone guy i never have i mean maybe it's a little uh you know after my time yeah that's what it is but yeah i've never really been into drones but i know my son he He's always kind of into them, but we haven't really, you know, invested anything into it. Maybe I should. For me, it was like, it was RC cars was the, we didn't have drones, but you could get the RC car. And then like a couple, a couple of the kids would have like the, the, the airplanes that you could, the remote controlled planes. Those were unbelievable growing up. And now again, yeah, you can just go get a drone. You can get a cheapie. It probably won't last long. And again, the battery life, yeah, it's like seven minutes. But yeah, man, you can control something and take it to the park and just fly it. It's unbelievable. That is insane. I remember, yeah, another one for me was uh, I got a hockey stick, like a street hockey stick. And so Ooh. me and my brother would just be playing street hockey because it was right during like uh, Mighty Ducks 2 when it was really popular. So we're out there doing knuckle pucks. We're out there doing all those things, man. I love it. I love it. What was that gift for you? 503-417-7575. We'll go away on the other side. I do want to talk a little Major League Baseball trade deadline coming up. We have the potential for uh, possibly the biggest haul in MLB history. Juan Soto, where should he go? I'll tell you next. Welcome back to the program. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the bald face truth. Major League Baseball. Juan Soto won the home run derby. Technically. 
Julio Rodriguez got robbed, but whatever. Juan Soto also possibly uh, going to be traded. The Nationals started the process of trying to move him ahead of the August 2nd deadline. Now, reports, look, they're only going to do it if it's a good deal for them, both in the short and long term. To me, that uh, certainly means being able to move off of Patrick Corbin's contract. And uh, Soto is going to attract a uh, lot of suitors. And it's not just because he's young and has just he's just oozing with talent. One of the top players in baseball. He's super young. He has two and a half years left on that six-year $140 million deal. That's Corbin. Uh, he's been the worst starter in the majors since the beginning of last season. 5.84 ERA and 50 starts. So the Nationals are going to want to get off that deal. And, of course, Soto will make that worth <laughs> worth the the, the cost uh, for a team potentially looking to get him. So the Nationals could still try to negotiate, but here's the deal. Once Soto rejected, this is such a wild contract, 15 years, $440 million. $440 million, and he turned it down. So to me, that says he just doesn't want to be there. They could try to negotiate. They could try to to make him reject a half a billion first, but they could potentially move him as well. And I mean, look, the Nationals—you would absolutely get four or five talented players in a trade for Juan Soto, and that could get him closer to contention. As it is, look, the Nationals are light years away from contention. I'm talking a half a decade away. They have the worst record in baseball. They're 31 and 63. And they have one of the worst rated farm systems in terms of talent. This isn't a situation like the Baltimore Orioles. And I know that's not a great uh, analogy because they've caught fire over the last month. But the Orioles, who are a terrible team, but boy, oh boy, wait till three years from now. They have a deep farm system. These guys are going to develop. They're going to come up there and they're going to be a hot young team here come, say, 2024. Of course, their timeline has accelerated a little bit. So the idea is who has the talent to make uh, to make a move here. The return they get certainly depends on whether uh, the team extends him at the time of the deal or just gets that control through 2024. Either way, uh, a lot of people are saying it's expected to be the biggest haul in Major League Baseball history. And when you're looking at who has a talent, I mean, the Yankees are always there. The Rays potentially have talent. The Blue Jays, the White Sox maybe. The Seattle Mariners might have talent. Uh, of course, they have a pretty deep farm system. You know, Jerry Depoto is always willing to make a trade. You could look at maybe prospect pitchers like uh, Emerson Hancock or George Kirby, maybe not both. Throwing Jared Kelenic, Kyle Lewis. They may or may not need to part with their best positional prospect, Noel V. Marte. He's a shortstop. I would anticipate that the Mariners would try to keep him. But that's a possibility. Mets, Cardinals, Dodgers, kind of all the the typical teams, Padres, Giants. I want to ask, since I know maybe we might not be experts on who of those 10 teams, should the Mariners look to get involved and try to snag Juan Soto, even if it's going to cost you truly four or five great prospects, if you can have... Soto and Julio Rodriguez locked up. Let's say even if you can't necessarily come to terms with Soto, but the Mariners, they've won 14 in a row. Second place in the American League West. They have an emerging star, superstar. You could still have Juan Soto for two and a half years of team control. Is that worth it to you? Yeah, definitely it's worth it to be. And I'm going to push back on it a little bit, Peter. 
you said you know he just doesn't want to be in Washington. If you uh, calculate the contract, fifteen for four forty, that's only twenty nine point three million a year. A Rod signed a contract for twenty five million a year at two thousand one. That's twenty two years ago. So the fact that Soto's only getting four more extra, but million, for fifteen years, a lot can happen in fifteen years. Twenty nine million. I mean, Soto is more than a twenty nine million dollar per year player, and so. I think that they're looking for more, maybe a shorter deal, and then even get another maybe. deal after that. But with that said, the Mariners should definitely go after this guy. I mean, he is a game changer by all the means necessary. Like, he's one of the best players in all Major League Baseball, especially hitting the ball. He's not a great fielder, but he is one of the best hitters, maybe the best eye in all of baseball. And the Mariners, you know, at 23 years old, he'll be 24 in October. If you're building around him and Julio Rodriguez, like, that is a core to build around where you can be a World Series contender you know, year in and year out, and you build around those two guys. So I'm all for the fact of going for it, right? You don't know if these prospects are going to turn out. There's been so many prospects that haven't turned out, especially for the Mariners. Yeah. To get a proven guy, yeah, you go all in. Yeah, F- 15 years. I th- I don't want to say he's foolish for, for not wanting to commit to that length of time, but teams after Albert Pujols, teams are very wary of offering that amount of years, even to a young Juan Soto. You never know what happens. And that 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 is relevant for him and his uh, his agent as well. So, okay, yeah, we'll do a nine-year deal, and then we'll sign another yeah. one. Well, what if you injure yourself and you're not going to get that big contract? I think the Nationals are going to offer him 15 and half a bill, and if he doesn't take it, then they're going to move him. I want the Mariners involved in this trade because, man, if you could get Soto and Rodriguez, especially if you're willing to lock him up, whether it's a seven-year deal, after which would give you nine and a half years of control, you've got to do it. Hour number two in the books. We will wrap things up. Your final hour on the other side. I am Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Leave it here. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth. Final hour of the Bald Face Truth. Sampson in for Canzano. Judah Newby going to be in tomorrow. I assume. Safety protocols. Yeah, he's out of health and safety protocols. He'll bring you a great show tomorrow and Friday, I believe. I'm his backup. I'm his understudy for tomorrow in, in case uh, health and safety protocols, uh, if he goes back in them. Yeah, sometimes that sneaks up on you. You go back in the protocol. It can do that. Uh, well, I'll word on that later today. I know he's 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 running through some reps right now. He's throwing a simu- you know, bullpen session right now. And uh, if everything's good and uh, he's, uh, he's looking more like Spencer Strider than Jake DeGrom, then he's going to be in good shape and he will roll with you through the rest of the week. Major League Baseball's All-Star Game remained the most watched All-Star Game in the major professional sports, but the viewership numbers are out for last night's game, which frankly was a pretty good game. I'll get to that in a minute. But it also drew record lows in viewership for the fifth time since 2015. Uh, The American League won 3-2. That's how I like my baseball games. I don't want anyone in double digits. It moved quickly, too. I didn't catch the end of the game, but I noticed as we were sort of talking about it and I have it on, I saw Giancarlo Stanton and uh, Byron Buxton go back-to-back. Stanton 
Man, what a shot that was. Does anyone hit the ball harder than Giancarlo Stanton? I still want to call him Mike Stanton. That's how he used to go. But but uh, does anyone hit the ball harder than him? Well, his swing is so effortless. It's just he stands there, just moves his arms, and that's it. And then he goes 450. Like, it is a rocket. I'll him and Judge that. both, man. Yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. But uh, so... It was moving quite along. At a certain, you know, the game starts at five, which really means you know five fourteen first pitch, and uh, later in the show, the show only goes until six o'clock. I saw. It's like, man, we're in the bottom of the fourth already. This thing's cruising. It was nice. It was nice. But uh, the game averaged seven and a half, seven point five one exactly million viewers on Fox. That's a decline of nine point seven percent from last year's contest in Colorado. The audience peaked at 8.24 million. That was between uh, 6.15 and 6.30 West Coast time. So it was the most watched uh, program on TV last night. It outdrew the three other major all-star games that were played in February. The Pro Bowl should have averaged zero viewers, but it averaged 6.69 million on ABC. The NBA all-star game had 6.28 million on TNT. NHL. Yeah, as you can guess, 1.15 million on ABC. Uh, part of that audience for the uh, the baseball game, 127,000 viewers on Fox Deportes, giving it the second highest audience for the event in Spanish language TV history. And there was also part of that 107,500 on the uh, Fox Sports streaming platforms. Uh, for comparison, the home run derby on Monday, which also, you know, despite the uh, gambling snafu, it was still enjoyable watching Julio do his thing on Monday night. Uh, that averaged 6.88 million. That was a three and a half percent decrease from last year. So viewership continues to be down. You know, I talked about this uh, last week, week before last. Uh, I was off last week. And how do we sort of uh, fix viewership for the All-Star game? And I know someone got at me and was like, what are you talking about? It's sold out every year. Now, that's not the issue. It's not hard to get 45,000 fans in the seats. It's a big corporate event. It's that TV viewership has shrunk from 30 million here to 7 million since, uh, you know, 1977 or whatever it was. That's a problem. Uh, the final score itself looked all too familiar. The American League won its ninth straight. And you think, wow, that's really dominant, right? Yeah, check this out. They've won 21 of the last 25 All-Star games. That's not great. Giancarlo Stanton, the MVP, of course, with that massive two-run bomb in the fourth inning. This is kind of interesting. He's one of five players to have won a league MVP, a home run derby, and an All-Star game MVP. Joins uh, the kid, Ken Griffey Jr., Miguel Tejada, Cal Ripken Jr., and my man Dave Parker. There's a throwback for you. Dave Parker was the man in the 70s. He's he's a, he's kind of a forgotten slugger, you know what I mean? But uh, Dave Parker was great. He was great. Uh, the part I enjoyed the most, did you guys see the ump cam at all? Yeah. That was incredible. What an amazing – I want that – integrated into more play or more broadcasts, even if it's just the playoffs, like they don't do it in the regular season, but say come, you know, the ALCS, NLCS, the World Series. I have got to have that. Yeah, that was awesome. And it shows just how hard it is to hit a baseball, right? You see the movement on those pitches. You forget, oh, yeah, they're going 90 miles an hour. They're yeah. going 92. Like, with movement. With movement. Like, that is tough to tough to just recognize. They also had a couple uh, mic'd up players. You know, some of it worked, some of it didn't. But uh, pitcher for the Blue Jays, Alex Manoa, really worked for That's him. Cool. He was awesome on it. Uh, you know, I thought they did some cool things. Like, I would love to see, like you said, the ump cam implemented in the playoffs, especially when everything's on the line. 
it's just something that it does to baseball to kind of get you inside of it where, you know, and a lot of people don't want, it seems like, to me, baseball is one of those sports where it seems like a lot of the old fans don't want new fans. They want to keep everyone out. They want to keep it in its own Screw game. Screw them. Yeah, exactly. And so these are the type of things that get, you know, casual fans into the game. Yeah, it, it was it was so cool. And I'm, I'm imagining, you know, in a World Series game, a pitcher's duel, pitches on the black. How was that called? And you can actually see the umpires. Be, I, frankly, I want this integrated into other sports. I want an NBA ref cam. Now, they're not going to give you that live. No. Frankly, they're not going to give it to you at all. But I would love this. If you get the replay of a call from the official's point of view. That would be the greatest thing in the world. You agree, great. And it also gives me more respect just for the umpires. Like, that is a hard job to do. It's hard, man. And we are very hard on umpires, which we should be. Like, we expect excellence, but at the same time, like, it's a tough job. But, yeah, I mean, the NBA, they – the NBA protects their referees at all costs. Like, they will never do anything like that. You know, they put out the two-minute report. Nobody nobody cares about it. They don't get any, you know, they don't get in trouble for it for all the mistakes they make the it last just ma- It minutes. just makes fans mad again the next morning. Yeah. Like, hey, you were right. Your team got screwed. Yeah, everyone's complaining. Oh, we were all right. Perfect. Awesome. So what are you going to do about it? Oh, nothing. We'll just call the same calls the next game. Yeah, you're right, though, man. Being an umpire is really tough. <laughs> like, even I used to umpire Little League when I was a teenager. Even that was tough. You know, those kids throwing their, the 55-mile-an-hour heaters. But even then... Man, I remember, first of all, it's an adjustment to uh, to get used to just calling balls and strikes. I remember, so, you know, they offered me, it was pretty good money, too, especially for the, uh, you know, the early to mid-90s. You know, they gave me, like, 35 bucks a game, which was, like, a lot. I grew up in a small town. There was not a lot of money in the uh, the uh, YCAA, the Yamhill Carlton Athletic Association. Uh, but they hooked me up, and I, so what I did is I I took uh, 25 and then I gave my buddy uh, my buddy Will I gave him 10 bucks a game to umpire in the field. Hey man, I don't want to run out to second base to see if this kid's safe or out. And I remember playing little league and you know the umpire it's it's horrific and I get it because it's just some high school kid helping out. And uh, but it's really frustrating. So hey, let's minimize that. And so we go and we do our first game. And I'm behind the plate. I got my clicker, got my chest protector. Let's go, baby. Let's go. And the very first pitch, the kid just pipes one right down the right down the middle. Just thunk. ball. <laughs> and I look up and Will's at second base. He just throws his hands in the air. Like, where was that? I'm like, okay, I gotta adjust to this. And then, I mean, you hear horror stories about the parents. Yeah. And those are no exaggeration, exaggeration, the amount of nonsense that I had to take from adults when I was like 15, 16 years old was unbelievable. Even I'm talking like I because I, I would do like girls softball games, too, and the moms would just be writing me. And then you'd have the dad like go there and get right behind the backstop and really analyze it. And I would hear it because I'm tuning out and they'd go back. No, he's calling it right. He is not. I'm telling you, honey, he's calling it right. Those are low. I'm telling you. No, no, no. And oh, it was nonsense. And you get the coaches that are, you know, you're coaching nine year olds and you're just teaching them teamwork and uh, having fun. And maybe it's kids that don't have a good home situation. And this is their chance to just get out of the house for a little bit and have a good time. And they're all about winning. They're all about drilling. We're going to drill, and we're going to be good, and we're going to beat these losers. And then, of course, they'll berate you. And it's, Man, we're just here to have fun. Come on. I need you to tone it down. There's nothing like being a teenager, getting cursed out from some stranger, some 40-year-old dude that you've never met in your life. I remember um, – I don't remember what town he came from, but uh, – it was, you know, Carlton was hosting some other small town. And they come in, 
And from before the game, the the coach of this visiting team is on me. He's just riding me. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, no, I'll call a good game. I got it. I know what I'm doing, I assure you. I, I, I've been doing this a little while now. It's good. And as soon as uh, he doesn't like that I didn't give his pitcher, you know, and you got to understand, again, these are nine-year-olds. This isn't even Babe Ruth League. This isn't high school. These are nine-year-olds. It's about fun and participation. And he didn't like that I'm giving his kid like three inches off the black of the plate. And he's berating me. And it's one thing to say something. I don't care. Like, oh, look good to me, up. You know, that's fine. That doesn't bother me. But he's he's using very foul language. And again, I'm not offended by that. I'm offended that it's directed to me. And I'm sort of offended that, like, that's what you're teaching your kids. And I have to warn this guy. And I warn him again. And I warn him again. And it got to the point, And it was only, like, the second inning at this point. And I get to the point, and I say, if you do that, if you say that to me one more time, this game is over, and you're going to go back on the bus, and your kids are going to go ride 45 minutes knowing it's your fault. And he uh, he said the magic words, and I just said, that's it, game over, get on the bus. If you don't like it, talk to him, and just walked off. Wow. And I just, it blew my mind that this adult made it so about him. He's It's not like he's suiting up and, like, going to get in there and just try to take these nine-year-olds' yard. Like, I don't understand. At that point, it's just everyone everyone plays a minimum of three innings. Everyone's having fun. We get some ice cream or some pizza afterwards. It was unbelievable the amount of garbage that we give umpires at all levels, but especially those youth levels. Like, I'm just trying to help on my community, and, oh, cool, I get a check at the end of the month. That's awesome. Yeah, you're not a professional ump, right? You're not de- you're not dedicating your life to this. So, what like what are they expecting you to do and like call for them? Like that is it's a wild story and and this is sad that you see these stories happen all the time, you know. Uh as a guy that played, you know, competitive sports, like you just see a lot of parents do that and now with a son who's 7, you know, luckily I haven't seen anything crazy with my son playing uh with any parents or anything, but I know it's coming and I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to react, but I have to try to stay ready for it because I know at some yeah. point there's going to be a parent that runs onto the field, tries to fight a coach, tries to fight a ref. Like something's going to happen, and I just got to be ready for those situations. So it's just sad that that's what you know youth sports especially has come to. Yeah, I can attest. I was a youth football official, and uh, it, it's intense. You yeah. know, like even youth football, like football coaches at any level are typically pretty intense, pretty into it, and this was no different. I definitely got barked at. Was I a good official? No, not at all. I. I cannot do that job it uh it takes it takes a knowledge of the game it takes uh, a level of attention and it takes kind of like a uh a t- a spatial awareness i, I want to yeah. say um and just none of that uh, i i possess <laughs> and you know sometimes i was a sideline judge which was pretty low effort or low pressure you know you just kind of mark the ball mark where the the runner went down and then sometimes i was like the lead official like you know signaling holding or like you know, even making even bigger decisions on big flags. So, yeah, I used to get barked at all the time. And, man, I witnessed some crazy things, like some some big injuries. And, oh, yeah. You know, coaches, of course, you know, borderline getting ejected, like you said. And it's uh, it, it's pretty intense, youth football. And it's it's always sad when the coaches make it about themselves. And to, to, me, to me, so much of that is it's eight – well, <laughs> let, let me backtrack. A parent should never be running on the field and fighting someone, ever. 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 Like, if, if if that happened, like, if I ever decided to, to umpire again, to like, I'm going to have zip ties. And if someone comes at me, dude, I'm going to hog tie him and just throw him on the ground. There. You're going to watch the game from there. 
and we'll deal with you later. That's that's unacceptable. But that being said, like the the, the writing uh, from com- from coaches or managers, depending on the sport, how we want to refer to it. I mean, it, there's levels to it, right? Like if it's a high school game, that sort of matters. There are state championships and things at play. The players are actually playing to win. Skills are developed. It's a little. You're supposed to have fun. I mean, you are. And I know some of the players are there just to have fun. But there's a certainly a more, a bigger element of, hey, like, this counts and this matters. But when you're talking, like, little kids getting dropped off and, you know, they're what the kid's picking daisies out in right field. And, yeah, you want him to get his head in the game. But that's just so he learns that, like, hey, your teammates are counting on you. And you're going to deal with this your whole life. It's not... I don't know, man. It, it, I guess it just goes to show that some people just have so little self-awareness. I guess that's really the uh, the, the lesson I took away as a uh, youth umpire. In general, it was a positive experience, though. Like I really, it was it was cool. Like I, I was a really good baseball player when I was a teenager. I was really really good, and it was cool to like stick around afterwards and teach the kids, you know, like like mechanics. Like, hey, you you pitched a pretty good game. I noticed that you know you were you were dragging with your left arm a little bit, and as you get older, you're gonna wear your arm out because you're not getting as much push with your legs. Let me help you, you know. And you do it kind of with the coach there, so you know, like, hey, I'm not stepping on your toes or being a weirdo. But it, it was really cool to kind of give back a little bit at, at that that level but the amount of parents that just took it way too seriously it's not your like i'm sorry to tell you your kid struck out looking he did it it's, it's not the end of the world and if it was it's his fault take the bat off your shoulder give me a break yeah no doubt and you know I, you know playing college basketball like i'm very competitive my wife did college track she's competitive so it's we're at this where i'm in a weird spot because you know my son is very competitive as well he hates to lose and I know that it is important to teach them to lose and winning is not the most important yeah. thing. But I also like to tell them, like, sports are more fun when you're good and when you win. So, like, you want to get better. You want to work hard. And so it's it's that fine line, right? Like, you don't want to be a poor sport about it, but you do want to teach these kids how to work hard and, you know, learn and be open to learning new things like that. So I'm with you. Like, it's just it's a weird line that it is, and some parents just cross that totally. And so, as you know, as a dad, like I'm trying to figure it out, but I think I do a pretty good job of just backing off, letting him figure it out, and uh, you know, help him when I can. But I think it takes a certain person to want to be a ref or a coach. And you know, I know for a fact, like I don't want to be a ref or a coach because I don't think I'd be a good one, and I wouldn't help these kids. So I back off of it, and I just kind of help my son out, and you know, after the game that thing. But it's it's a weird spot, man. It's, it is. It's tough to be a parent. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I I always just recognize, I mean, my son's going to start playing sports too, and he hasn't done it in in any official capacity yet. We get out and throw the baseball in the backyard a lot, but I mean, I'm going to be delicate in my involvement. I mean, because I just want him to pick up those lessons. He's relatively athletic. He's not super competitive, so I don't think he'll go real far with it, and that's fine. But really, I mean, I just want him to to pick up the idea of teamwork. I mean, the one thing that sports taught me, man, it was about... It was about being a good teammate. I, When I was young, I was really, really good, and the rest of my team was not. And it was very frustrating. You know, and they didn't have the pitch count limits back then, like multiple times. In Little League, the games are six innings, you know. Yeah. I'd, throw a, I'd throw a no-hitter, and I'd have 17 strikeouts in a complete game, six-inning game, and I'd lose because, like, three to nothing because my teammates committed three errors. And, like, the rage I would feel. And learning to, like let that go and not everyone's at the same level and you need that as an adult to just kind of learn to like let things go hey it's not malicious man it's just people 
are at different levels and everyone picks things up differently. It served me so, so well. Yeah, it's always about the next play, right? That's what, uh-huh. that's what I was, was taught. And, you know, a good example was I just messed up, pressed the wrong button, and we just play on. We just go to the next play yeah. and keep talking. So uh, I take my uh, sports seriously now, and I take it uh, where I mess up. Now I can do it at work and uh, capitalize and do something better. Exactly. So the two lessons from today's show, be good to your servers and your DoorDash drivers. Be good to your officials, too. Well, I mean, except Scott Foster, those guys. You yeah, can go hard on them. really suck. Yeah, but, I mean, your youth officials, they're doing the best they can. And, 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 again, it wasn't for the paycheck. It was nice to get a little extra spending money at the end of the month. But, honestly, I just felt like I was helping out my community. That's why I did it. So be nice. Apparently, the 2022 ESPYs are underway. All right. Steph Curry's hosting. All right. (laughs) He's also nominated for Best Athlete in Men's Sports alongside Aaron Rodgers, Shohei Otani, Connor McDavid. Best Women's Athlete nominees, Katie Ledecky, Candace Parker, Sunisa Lee, Oksana Masters. Do we watch the ESPYs? I have no desire in watching the ESPYs whatsoever. Does anyone get down with this? I used to, and I used to really enjoy it and look forward to it every year. And then something happened, something uh, I just I am not interested in anymore. And I feel like there's going to be some good moments tonight. To be honest with you, you said that, and I kind of chuckled. I was like, oh, the ESPYs are on. I, who, could, who, who cares? But I feel like with Steph Curry hosting, there will be some good moments. Um, but I don't know. I just my My interest really waned over – the last couple of years, uh, for whatever reason. But, um, yeah, I, I feel like Steph Curry's going to get best male athlete, and it's going to be awkward because he's the one hosting the whole thing, and then he's going to accept an award. Yeah, uh, I'm not an SB guy. I uh, never really have been, so I am not interested at all. But, uh, again, it's just not really my thing. Like, I, I understand it's for some people, but, uh, you know, I have my own opinions. So I give out, I guess, the, the Steve Spees. So, you know, I'm going to give out my best male athlete and my best female athlete. So I don't really care what ESPN has to say. Yeah, that, see, the, award shows in general, I, I'm not into them. I don't care about the Grammys. I don't care about the Oscars. I don't care about the Golden Globes. Because it's just an industry party where everyone pats themselves on the back. And this is the same deal. But at least in those other realms, you know, film, TV, music, at least it's, like, subjective. But sports has winners. There is a winner. There's there's a, a champion. Yeah, it, it, we we track this. We already know. So it's interesting that we do this all again. I mean, I understand that it's fun to uh, look at the best plays in sports for the last year. You always vote on best play, best game, best comeback athlete, all that kind of stuff. But I just, I don't know, man. It's it's not subjective. We don't need award shows. Period. I understand that. I mean. <laughs> people geek out over the Academy Awards and they have watch parties. It's just an industry like insurance. The insurance industry does this too. We just don't watch it on television. So why do we thank goodness? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's, there's always, there might be like one good thing that comes from it. You know, just like when Will Smith went up and hit Chris Rock, like, 
There might be a funny joke or something in the Steph Curry monologue. Shohei Otani comes up and punches Steph Curry in the face. That would be pretty funny. Like, if that happened, you know what? I'd watch a lot of highlights and I'd watch uh, some shows talking about it. But, yeah, I mean, I'm all, you know, I might want to listen to the monologue, hear some jokes. But, yeah, the the award show's not for me. So, out of the the four uh, nominees I mentioned for Best Athlete in Men's Sports, Steph Curry, Aaron Rodgers, Shohei Otani, Connor McDavid, who, who, who wins? Steph. Steph. Well, Steph will win, but Shohei should win. Shohei. Really? Shohei Steph? should win. Like, Steph's in, not better than Shohei, his profession. Shohei Otani is like a top 10 pitcher and a top 10 hitter. At Steph the same just time, won the is, NBA Finals, MVP. Shohei is doing things that even Babe Ruth didn't do, and no one has done since. Like what yeah. Shohei did, no one's done in a hun- more than 100 years. No one's done what Steph's doing. Won a title? Well, the way he's playing yeah. basketball. S- scored 26 points I'm a game? I'm basketball biased. I'm basketball biased. I mean, no I am too, ever, but... No one's no. played basketball the way Steph plays basketball. Like, honestly, Shohei Otani should win MVP every year for the Angels because yeah. he is one of the best pitchers in the league and one of the best hitters in the league, and nobody does that. He steals bases. He does everything. Right. Yeah, it's it's impossible for another player to be that valuable because he, he helps you in two different ways. We talk about unicorns. Like, he is the ultimate... Unicorn, there's nobody like it. There's one guy, it was Babe Ruth, and yeah. now it's him. And they and, and they even stopped him from doing that in 1920. Yeah, so again, like you said, he's doing things that Babe Ruth never even did. So, like, it's literally things we've never seen before. So, for me, it would be Shohei, but I think Steph will win just yeah. because a lot of people are basketball biased. Yeah, and, and that's where I'm at, too. I mean, Curry is certainly more high profile than Otani. I mean, Otani is really the face of baseball right now, but I mean, the NBA is such a higher profile sport than Major League Baseball. Let's go to the women's side. Katie Ledecky, Candace Parker, Sunisa Lee, Oksana Masters. Who do we like there? I mean, I guess Candace Parker. I, I love Candace Parker. I think she's cool, so Same. I'll give it to Candace. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Katie Ledecky. That's where she's, I'm at. She's incredible, and Suni Lee is also incredible. I feel like those Olympic sports like have some amazing athletes that don't get recognized enough, and those two are both incredible. Yeah, what Katie Ledecky, not just for her career, but what she did at the Olympics again this year, man. I uh, I had never really gotten down with Olympic swimming, like, uh, you know, when it was big time. And, uh, oh, I'm blanking on his name that, that won all those medals. Uh, Michael like Phelps. It, Michael Phelps, thank you. Yeah, like I watched that, of course, because that was kind of a, a sensation. But uh, 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 Kim was a, a pretty competitive swimmer back in the day, and so she follows this stuff. She's actually aware of it, and she's like, no, 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 this is the name. You have to watch her. And so I sat and I, I watched all of Katie Ledecky's races, and it was unbelievable. She wasn't just winning. She was just dominating the competition. And it's one of those things, you know, Sean and me kind of talked about this a little bit, just the Olympics, the appeal that it has for just casual sports fans or just like, you know, for a guy like you and me, like, we're not big into swimming, but when the Olympics comes on, we'll watch all the swimming events, and we're cheering for the USA people just because it's fun to cheer for somebody. Yeah. It's fun to have you know your your rooting interest in something. So yeah, I, I'm with you. Like those type of events are really fun. Yeah, I love the Olympics, and it's funny because I just talked earlier this week about how I'm not a track and field guy at all. But please believe when it's on, when the Olympics are on, let's go, baby. Oh, that guy. Yep, here we go. But. uh uh, the Olympics this year were kind of interesting. I was so excited when they started, but I mean, the challenges that they had with the broadcast, they hardly had anyone over there live to cover it as a really small team. So much of it was, uh, was done remotely. I lost interest fairly quickly. I had it on and I certainly watched the, uh, the swimming, a lot of swimming. 
And uh, oddly enough, a lot of skateboarding. I really wanted to see how that was going to be. But all in all, I didn't get as fired up for the Olympics as I thought I was going to be headed into, like, the first two days. I was I was practically wearing a red, white, and blue jumper, you know, like looking like Randy Macho Man Savage waving a flag. But it went away pretty quickly. Pete, let's say peak Peter Sampson is training for the Olympics. You get, you know, you get a while to train. What, do you think you could uh, could have qualified for anything? No. Not no. at, like your peak athleticism? No, I don't think so, man. I mean, unless it's something like curling or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you're a great curler. See, yeah, and if we had, like, I, we should really expand the Olympic sports. Like, if we could get, like, Olympic beekeeping. Bottle flipping. Yeah, or you know, an Olympic spelling bee. I feel like I would have been pretty good at that. Or if we changed the, the biathlon to where... We luge at 100 miles an hour, and then we jump up and participate in a spelling bee really quickly, or like beer chugging, uh, beer like shotgunning beers. Like like I I'm really good at at uh, shotgunning a beer quicker than I my friends. Not. I am not. You just got you open your throat, man. <laughs> That's all there is to it. I do it in a slow time, and then I basically hold my I I kind of bend down, and I'm about to gag, and I I'm a mess when I. And, and you got to really uh. You got to keep your uh, like your nasal passage. You got to keep it open. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but if you if you like close it, like you're holding your breath, uh, that's when the carbonation can really get to you, and you get the watery eyes and stuff like that. If you just accept it, like you, you just chill out and accept that it's happening, I believe in you. You can get that beer down so in five much seconds in your flat. Stomach at one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it hurts. No, don't get me wrong. I haven't I haven't shotgunned a beer in I don't know a decade, and even that last time was ironic. <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, I used to, I used to be pretty good. But if you trained, you would have been on the Olympic team for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. At least the Olympic Village. I mean, it, I you know some of those guys are partying in the. Olympic yeah. Village after they're done, they're shotgunning That's some the beers. That's the best part stories that come from the Olympic Village, <sighs> how cool that would be. Man, and some of the, the the stories that they have were like they built the the cheap cardboard beds that they had to sleep yeah. on so they weren't able to hook up on them. And you always hear <laughs> the stories every year about like, and they're, they brought 4,800 condoms to yeah. Olympic Village so that everyone can be responsible while they're just going nuts. It's like watching Bachelor in Paradise, except they take a break to play basketball, you know? No, no doubt. <laughs> what happens in the Olympic Village stays the Olympic Village. Does it? Because I keep Got hearing it, right? stories about it. It's wild. That's They should they should turn that into a reality show. Like, if, if ABC gets the rights to the Olympics... Uh, what they should do, because the Bachelor's on ABC as well, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So yeah, they should have Bachelor in Paradise there, except it could be Athlete in Paradise, and because that show is just trashy, so trashy. And why not? All it is is just beautiful people drinking alcohol and seeing whether or not they're going to hook up. We might as well just have athletes do it. Well, you guys were talking about the local hour yesterday about Netflix going downhill. You want know Netflix? Get on this. Let's go make this a reality show. I'd, I'm back on Netflix. If yeah, they do. I'd pay two ninety nine for password sharing if, yeah. if, if if we were getting down that way. And I mean, they don't have to worry about uh, broadcast regulations exactly. either. So. Uh, maybe we I mean, don't need to see that because <laughs> you know it's going to be some like shot putter or something like that you know like oh man really <laughs> that guy whatever all right we'll go and come back on the other side more sports talk to come peter samson in for Kanzano. it's the bft
The next step in advertising infiltrating live sports, Major League Baseball is allowing ads on uniforms next season. The Padres were the first to announce a deal with Motorola. (laughs) They announced that deal in 2003? Anyway, (laughs) the NBA obviously started in 2017. Uh, NFL had it added a uh, helmet ads in 2020 jersey ads last season or excuse me nhl added helmet ads in 2020 jersey ads last season i'll be honest i'm fine with it i was really opposed to the idea when the nba started doing it i mean of course it's it's been a staple in soccer forever to the point where you just kind of accept it uh but when the nba was announced they were going to do it i was pretty bummed out until i saw how non-intrusive at least the nba ones are the little patch um but Major League Baseball is going to do it. I guess if they're small like the NBA, I'm good with this. It's just the future of sports. More to come. You know what? I, this is a weird take from a sports guy, but I really don't care that much about uniforms and jerseys. I really don't. Like, I get the fascination with them, um, but I'm just not a big jersey guy or uniform guy where I care about what they look like. I like to wear them just because I think they're funny, yeah. and I like to get funny players of jerseys. Like, I have a Jimmer Fredette jersey. Uh, you know, I got some. I got some funny jerseys I like to wear, you know, out to the pool during the summertime. But like to actually care about their looks, like I really just don't care. So it doesn't bother me that teams and leagues are trying to make as much money as possible because that's what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to get as much money as you can in the league, so hopefully they can spend it in the right places. So I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it either. Uh, I I get why they do it. It is imagine the price that they pay uh, these companies. Like oh, yeah. that is like. Because you mentioned it, people buy these jerseys too. So not only do you watch it on your TV or when you watch the team, you get, you see that company. But also, when someone buys the jersey, they wear it around, and that has the uh, the company on there as well. But some of them look really cool. Like if if the teams do it right, um, we'll have to brainstorm here which teams do it best. First one that comes to mind is the fact that Orlando has Walt Disney, and it just it, it fits on there seamlessly. Um, you know, and so I think MLB here. Uh, you know, if, if the teams do it right, and it's got to be a company that, one, looks good on a jersey, and two, uh, kind of fits in with the color scheme yeah. and, uh, you know, fits in with the, the city as well. You know, like, so maybe the Mariners, like, it's Amazon on there or another Seattle-based company. Uh, I, I don't mind it at all, and, I, again, it's the future of sports. Who who was the NBA team that had Bumble? Was that the Clippers? Clippers, that's, yeah. That's, that's what not, I thought. Is that a good one? I, I'm not sure that's I, one of my favorites. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I mean, of course, the Blazers. Uh, I don't know if it's current for next season as well, but they have that, that – it's that crypto company. Yeah, it was BioFreeze, and now it's a crypto company. Yeah, the BioFreeze one looked a little weird because they had mm. green on the jerseys mm. when the jerseys, jerseys are black or white or red. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, remains to be seen. I, I don't know, man. If someone offered me money, man, I'd, I'd rock whatever. I don't know. Like, if you could endorse one product and get a lifetime supply, but you had to, like, wear the logo on everything that you had, what would it be? Oh, yeah, I mean, I again, I don't think I'd care either, honestly. You could get, you could say, hey, the Lakers want to pay you money to wear a Laker hat every day. You know, I would. I wouldn't care. I think I would do it for anything, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, you endorse. We'll re- repeat the question for me. I was I was busy looking up the NBA packages oh, yeah. to so see which ones are best. If, if you could endorse a product, you know, and you get a lifetime supply of it, but you have to you have to advertise it nonstop. You have to get the patch. What would you pick? Like any company or yeah, just like, whatever product. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. I. Uh... Is it basic to say just like Nike or Columbia? Just some really cool. <laughs> a little I, bit. I would wear Nike every day. A little um, bit, but that's okay. 
I really like like kind of funny t-shirts. I'm not wearing one today, but like I wore, you know, like a Ted Lasso t-shirt the other day. Yeah. I have like a Larry David t-shirt that I like to wear around. So like, you know, if I really cared about something like, you know, maybe like for my favorite TV show or um, favorite sport, whatever, you know, like I would rock that every day. Something that means something to me. I'm getting the blue diamond patch, man. You know, Sean, you can vouch for this. You've run the board for me hundreds of times, and I'm always snacking on those wasabi soy mm. almonds, man. The smokehouse, that's where, that's my jam right there. I, I got an empty uh, one-pound bag of those in the yeah. trash right now. Yeah. The smokehouse are good. Man, you don't see them often. They only come in the smaller tin. Have you had the spicy dill pickle ones? No. Uh, they're the real deal. You need to try that immediately. Those little, I mean, I like pickles. so I'm a I mean, pickle I, guy. And I like spicy. It's just the combination of that with almonds just seems weird. But you know what? No, I'm going to trust you. I'm trusting you. On this yeah, yeah I, I assure you this is good. They they also have some, uh, uh, they're like lavender chocolate ones that sounds kind of funky. They're good. They're good. Blue Diamond, man, they're, they're doing things right. Those wasabi yeah. soy. It's it's like crack cocaine. I cannot stop myself. Every commercial break, I'm chowing. I got a mouthful of almonds. I hear Nirvana or Faith No More come in. I'm like, oh, man, okay. Just give me like 10 seconds. I'll be back. I it's can like do this. this reminds, there's a couple food companies that I can buy from the grocery store that I am very loyal to and would rock. Uh, Bare Naked, it's one of them. It's a granola. Adam's Peanut Butter. Yes. Very, very I'm, good. I'm an Adams guy. You're an Adams guy. Now, now, do you get the pre-stirred, or do you actually stir it yourself? That's I how I do it. I stir it myself. It's healthier when you stir it yourself. Exactly. If you don't have to stir a peanut butter yourself, that means there's some... Hydrogenated there's vegetable some stuff oil in, in there it. that you don't want Are you a there. creamy or a chunky guy? Prefer creamy. My man. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, uh, sometimes unsalted. You know, sometimes salt doesn't really matter to me, but they sell each. But, yeah, Adams peanut butter, I mean, just a public service announcement. Jiff and a Skippy. It's garbage. It's not the way to go. Not no. good for you at no. all. No, Adams is just ground up peanuts, mm-hmm. with, sometimes with salt added, sometimes not. And it tastes better. It does. It tastes better. Once you go to Adams for peanut butter or any other, there's plenty of other uh, good natural peanut Miranda, butters out there. Whatever, yeah. Once you go back, you taste all the sugar and all the crap that's in the Jiffs and the Skippies. Do you, do you ever go to the uh, like the bulk food aisle at some places? They'll have this where you can just grind your own yeah. peanuts in real time. Where you I, ever do that? Where I do my food shopping is Winco, and yeah, they have that. That's uh, it's pretty good. Fred Meyer has that as well. So yeah, that's that's good stuff. That's the way to do it. I like that. So, so you, you're rocking. You're you're supporting. You're advertising. Uh, Adam's peanut butter yeah. in exchange for that life. Careful, man. That's pretty high calorie, though. Yeah. Well, I eat a ton <laughs> of it. So. Do you? Yeah. I gotta watch. I gotta watch myself, man. I have to. I got to the point where you know you look and it's like 260 calories for a serving. You go, well, what's a serving? Two tablespoons. Okay. Well, I mean that yeah. seems like a lot. How much am I actually putting on my sandwiches? And so I measure it out one time with the, my tablespoons. And I just got so set. My bread was so naked. Yeah. It was so I naked. I don't do that. I, uh, yeah, it, just a little bit of that stuff is high in calories. It's, you know, it's high in good fats and protein, but it's still high in calories. But I'm not I'm not good like you. I, I put loads of that stuff in uh, in whatever food I'm eating. No, I wouldn't say I'm good like that. I'm just saying I did it one time. And I said, no, 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 no. I need more than that. But, yeah, Blue Diamond is who I'm endorsing. They just can't do anything wrong. I can't, That's my go to snack is uh specifically those wasabi soys you're right though steven man the, the smokehouse 
Also, the real deal. They have like a sweet chili habanero one, though, that, that's pretty good as well. It's, no matter what they do, man, it's tasty. Food technology is amazing right now. Just some of the flavors that these companies come up with, it's, they don't sound like they would work, but most of them do. Like, there's really not many bad combinations that I try for a lot of different things. Yeah, absolutely. So you were looking up the uh, the NBA patch yeah, sponsors. Yeah, yeah, so I have some of them here. Yeah, lay them okay. on me. So the Philly goes with StubHub. Okay. Uh, Minnesota has Fitbit, which is, is pretty cool. Um, Cleveland has like a shoe, and you guys might have to help me out here. They have, uh, is it Goodyear? Yeah, Goodyear. They have Goodyear. They have like a Goodyear shoe. Um, and then Boston has the, um, the laundry, uh, not laundry, they have... Um, What's this company do? We'll, we'll go back to Boston. Disney for Magic, I think, is, Makes sense. is totally obvious. Uh, the Lakers have Wish. Like, Wish. Oh, isn't that a shop, like a discount shopping website? Isn't that what Wish is? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I've, I've never used so. it. Uh, Milwaukee has Harley Davidson. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that one's pretty cool, though the colors don't match at all. And then I've never seen this one. Atlanta Hawks have ShareCare. Which must be a new one. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. If you have them all, what's the Sacramento Kings one? I'm just curious. Oh, it's a uh, Blue Diamond Almonds. What? Yeah, you uh, are officially a Kings fan. Sacramento Kings, the worst franchise in the history of anything ever, have the best patch sponsor. That's wild. I just saw. This is wild too. No active NBA player has ever faced the Kings in the playoffs. I saw that too. That's saw that insane. today. It's a trash franchise. I can't believe, man. Blue this Diamond, year. you can do better than that, Blue Diamond. Well, Mark Spears just came out and said the Kings are making the playoffs. They're kind of good this year. Mm. You look up and down their roster. Nope. You know, they added Malik Monk. They added Kevin Herter. Uh, they still have, you know, Keegan Murray looks like a great draft pick if we're going off Summer League. I, I actually think the, the Kings are kind of in that Blazers neighborhood. They, I hate to say it. They say could it, they it. could add Kevin Durant, Giannis, and God, <laughs> and they're not making the playoffs. They might they're, make the play-in with that team, but they're not making the playoffs. Yeah, they're not making the playoffs. They're the Kings. I, that, that's the only thing. I, I understand. No one's wrong. You look at their talent. You look at Darren Fox. You, you look at DeMontis Sabonis. You look at some of the additions. I, I'm not saying you're crazy for looking at that and going, that might be a playoff team. I'm just telling you, look at the name on the front of the jersey, not the 15 names on the back. They're not making the playoffs. They're the Kings. I mean, when they when they were rolling, when they had, you know, Vlade and Chris Weber and Mike Bibby, like, that was their chance. But they unfortunately ran up against the Lakers who had Kobe and Shaq. So, yeah. like, that was the problem is they were so good then. And it, just ever since that, man, they can't get back to that. Never level. made the playoffs close. before Rick Adelman. Have not play, made the playoffs since Rick Adelman. Mark my words. That streak continues this year. I don't care who had, who what, they have. What happens first, Blazers championship or Kings make the playoffs? Blazers championship. <laughs> what? Kings are going to make the playoffs next season. Not a oh. chance. Not a chance. They are the Sacramento Kings. The they play are the, in. They are the excremento Kings. This is not a good franchise. Are we they, counting the play-in as playoffs? No. Okay, yeah, never mind. I forget <laughs> what I just said. I was like, yeah, they'll be the 10th seed. They'll, they'll, they can make the play-in. Okay, so that doesn't count. See, that one surprised they me. They won't. They'll, they'll jump into the play-in. And then they will they will play that game and they will be shell shocked and they will look like the Phoenix Suns in Game Seven against the Mavs and they will be down thirty points at halftime in that game. But just imagine if the Kings did make the playoffs, like after winning the play, and every single guy is going to celebrate like Pat Beverly, just on the oh on the on the uh, on the scores table, taking their shirt off. Every player of the Kings is going to do that. Oh, man. It would be it, pretty cool. Like, I want to see that now. If, if they make the playoffs, I'm going back to Mass. So that's all, <laughs> that's all there is. That's all there is to it. All right, we'll go and come back. One final segment ahead. Peter Sampson in for Gonzano. It's the BFT.
final segment of the BFT. Peter Sampson for Gonzano. Assuming he stays out of health and safety protocols. Judah Newby in tomorrow and Friday. JC will be back Monday. I'm sure he'll have an update from Camp Exceptional. It's going on this week. Seen a lot of posts on Instagram about it. Looks like it's uh, the kids are having a great time. Volunteers are out there making a difference in their community. It's awesome to see. Some news, NFL, according to reports, Deshaun Watson's suspension uh, may be announced soon. This is surprising to me, especially considering the conversation we uh, had here in the studio about it yesterday. Uh, reportedly, it is expected to be less than 10 games. Not sure on an amount yet here, but the arbitrator is expected to uh, suspend Watson for fewer than 10 games. Of course, uh, we heard the the report that we talked about yesterday that Watson's camp is ready to sue the NFL if it hands down a year-long suspension. I'm going to be honest. This is very, very surprising to me. I mean, I was just absolutely positive that it's going to be a year. Anything could happen. It could still be a year. But if you're hearing, you know, nine, eight, five, four games, I'm going to be shocked. A lot of people are going to be pretty disappointed. Yeah, I mean, if it's below 10 games and you're Deshaun Watson, I mean, you're just kind of going to take it and then let it yeah. be. Like, you're getting off easy, I feel like. And so, I mean... If you're a Browns fan or you're a Sean Watson or you just don't care about it, like that is a big win for all of those people. And I'm with you. I expected a year. I thought it was such an easy decision uh, to do a year. So I'm really interested to see if that report is going to come out to be true, that it's less than a year. Are you guys really surprised, though? A I mean, bit. yeah, a little bit. I mean, on one hand, the cynical, you know, guy that covers sports and sees all the bad behavior goes up. I mean, look, this is the the league that handled Ray Rice and Kareem Hunt. You know, like, of course, exactly. of course, they're they're not going. But you would think that any rational actor would realize, like, even if you're not sympathetic, it's clear that the league doesn't care about women. It's it's clear. I'm just going to say it. I'm not going to belabor the point, but it's true. But you would think even hey, we don't care about this, we care about money, this was a massive hit to our image the way we handled that, we're not going to make that mistake again. And here, reportedly, it seems like, to some degree, they're about to make that mistake again. And I go back to the contract, right? $1 million this year, and that's it. And Slap in the face. Because of that, like, they had to have been expecting that it was a year-long suspension. I don't see any other way you could really conceivably explain that decision of how they say, yeah, you know, we're going to take $25, 30000000000 billion the other years, but we'll take $1 million this year. Like, there's no other explanation besides they thought they were getting years. So, I, you know, I am a little surprised, but, yeah, you know, in the back of my mind, you're probably right, Sean. Like, I probably shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, well, you said it. This is the league that took it easy on Ray Rice and Joe Mixon and Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill and countless others that have committed similar acts to what we're talking about with Deshaun Watson here. And uh, I think the biggest thing, again, the difference between Deshaun Watson and Miles Bridges right now is that there, there's hard evidence against Miles Bridges. Like fans, NBA fans got to go on Instagram and actually see with their own eyes what was going on, hard evidence. We haven't really had that with Watson. We have some New York Times articles uh, with some really good uh, reporting and some, some facts on there. But at the same time, we've seen a lot of settlements, you know? Yeah. So I'm not saying the guy's innocent, but I'm also not, you know, it, 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 this is just ongoing. This doesn't seem to ever end. And it feels like uh, it feels like no one like we don't know that he's he's really guilty because nothing's came out like none of the the women have really 
it, it just feels like this has been going on for a while, so we don't really know. There's no end in sight with this. Yeah, you make a great point with the uh, seeing the evidence. I mean, you remember the Ray, Ray Rice, Rice situation yeah. Yeah. where, you know, they issue the punishment, and then the video comes out, and it, it's it's – I mean, it was horrifying. He frankly. got four games for that, right? Didn't he? Four. Yeah, yeah. And, and he that played is... the next preseason game, yeah. and the fans were giving him a standing ovation because that was yeah. before the video came out. Yeah, and, and then the video comes out, and it went flipped. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, you you read the account and you go, okay. Well, I don't. I understand that that's terrible, but a lot of people did. And then you see the video of actually what happened to that woman, and you go, "Oh man, this is a guy. This this dude should not be a representative of the National Football League." So, the NFL never change. NFL never change. Uh, continue to make mistakes, but you know they figure, "What the hell? We're we're king. We get we are the biggest sport in America. Uh, we have the most money. We're going to do what we want, and we're going to put our stars on the field." So Deshaun Watson's suspension. Expected to be fewer than 10 games. That's it for us. Peter Sampson was in for John Canzano. Appreciate you listening to the BFT.